now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. As long as they keep on making animated Star Wars, Hope Molinax and Chris Honeywell will be on the case. Welcome to Jedi's and Jedi, a project that began with Clone Wars and now may never end. See, Colton, this this is what we used to use to communicate. I used back Skype. in the day. I I yes, thank you, Charles. Stop <laughs> You're cheating, welcome. Colton. Listen, Colton's no, mere existence gives me existential dread. All right. The fact that Colton was born after the Phantom Menace haunts me. If it's any consolation, my existence also gives me existential dread. Good! I'm glad there's two of us. You know we're both older than both of you. (laughs) You are not that much older than me. I'm still older than you. Kids, 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 calm down. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, hon. So, all right. I was nine years old watching the Star Wars Christmas special. Hell yeah. I'm not even sure you were the target audience for the Star Wars Christmas special at nine years old. Uh, I figured out, well, like, this is what I, this is what I wanted to scream through the, I I didn't get to see the live thing. I watched it the next day, but I was just like, everybody's just like, what the hell is, you know, up with this surreal, weird ass christmas special but as a kid when i saw it i knew what it was i'm like oh it's a tv christmas special and it was disappointing but it wasn't like what the hell is going on here we knew what was going on it just was disappointing but i don't know who it was who was i think it was probably most of you saying that the cartoon oh this doesn't look like star wars it looked to a nine-year-old it looked exactly that like watching that cartoon was like seven minutes of being in real Star Wars to me. So I was, I, mean, I just wanted I, to go to like, the nine year old me wanted to go like, no, this was, that was the, that cartoon was like the greatest thing cartoon I had ever seen up to that point in my life. <laughs> it's I loved the cartoon. The only thing weird. I didn't like, oh. I, I was oh, going to say, it, it's weird watching the, the special multiple times because the first time you watch it you're like what the fuck is going on here what the fuck is happening and the live stream i had previously watched the special so i'm like there's points of it where i'm like i don't know what the fuck anyone was thinking when this happened and then there's points that i'm like yeah i mean that pretty much tracks i mean the cartoon the cartoon despite some facts that they they ha- they make some choices like C3PO blinking for some reason. It's yeah, oddly like, like that. it's the closest we probably get to the tone of the original movie. And I yeah. I wonder if that's because it was made by somebody else and just sort of slotted in there randomly. Hope knows more about the existence of this cartoon than I do. Well, I, I think I think Nelvano was very similar to Lucasfilm. They were about the same age and they were like, you know, post hippie 
people and they had like a visual like they obviously were copping mobius's visual style for it for that was you a know specific which was, note from uh lucas was to do mobius yeah and so it it yeah it it had that and like it just like like books like star wars books with illustrations and it looked very much like that in those days looked more hand-drawn and and like dirty and gritty i ever since the phantom menace era like star wars graphic design has been just like turned into like photoshop garbage but it used to be like nice uh, oddly oddly organic illus looking illustration and stuff like that would be what you would see with star wars and now it's like just bright colors with the outer glow have you, have you ever seen any panels from the original Marvel run for Star Wars? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I used to own the I entire never... Marvel. I used to, I just, up until recently, I had the whole, um, my first podcast was with Scott Gardner, and we did every issue of the Marvel comics. First of all, that kicks ass, and I need to listen to that immediately. But second of all, that's what I think of when I think of pre, like, prequels aesthetic star wars is specifically those marvel comics and specifically the one panel that I, i've seen on wikipedia of obi-wan kenobi like slouching on a couch but he looks nothing like prequels obi-wan kenobi he's just like got this huge white beard yep yep i i badly i think those comics may be on marvel unlimited i need to check Chris, I'm going to just let you know that now I'm really enjoying this conversation, so I'm going to implore you to keep it in the beginning of the episode, and I'll do an actual intro in a minute. <laughs> I don't think we're I recording the, yet, are we? We are recording, because I, I, I hit the record assumed. button. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, like I some that the recording started when the recording button was hit. Actually, I need to turn off. The... Yeah, I, I've been recording the call, Chris. This is all being Excellent. recorded. Hmm. So. Anyway, you were saying about Marvel Unlimited. Actually, Colton, you had something about the Christmas special a little bit ago. Oh, it, it was just, I, I liked the Christmas special I, for especially the animation. The only thing I didn't like about the animation was the fact that C-3PO blinked. Gotcha. Just I'm felt wrong. Are we like recording on Skype yet? Face. I am recording on Skype, hon. Oh, okay. Look at the very top. It has a little red button. That's all me. Oh. I did it. Oh. Just remind me to stop the recording because whenever I do start recordings, I always forget to stop them. So, so I, I I guess I should do an intro, right? Right, since we're here and we've been talking already and stuff like that. Um, hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J Guys and Jedi. Uh, well, not we're not weekly anymore. A bi-weekly podcast talking about something Star Wars. Um, my name is Hope. I'm one of your co-hosts. My pronouns are she/her. And I would like to uh, kick it over to my other co-host, the awesome Honeywell. Oh, I was going to say, you got lots of co-hosts here. Um, I do. I do. Yes, I, I'm Chris Honeywell. I co-host J-Guys and Jedi with Hope Mullenix. I, I guess my pronouns are he, him, but you call me anything you want except it. And mm -hmm. maybe even in selected... Selected... Um, circumstances i guess i could be an it if i was doing some sort of performance art <laughs> um and then anyway. as 
depending on whether or not Chris cuts out all that at the beginning, um, we are also being joined by a very special guest today, and I'm very excited to have them on. Um, so I'm going to first kick it over to the, the new person on the li- on this, because Charles has been on the show before. He can wait. Um, so Colton, please introduce yourself. Uh, yeah. Hi. Uh, my name is Colton. Um, I, I go by any all... Um, yeah, I'm a, a podcaster on FLAD for Light and Dice, the, the show that uh, me, Hope, and Charles, and some other people, um, some other wonderful people are on. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I read a lot of books. That's sort of my thing, which is why I'm here. So, that's pretty cool. So, before I get to to uh charles which actually no let me go ahead and do you charles because this might just be a tangent um i would also like to welcome back to the show uh the wonderful charles rogers hello hello my name is charles my pronouns are he him you can find me on uh the gold squadron gaze weekly podcast you can find me on for light and dice and you can find me a lot in the feedback section of this show and uh, if you missed Charles before, he was on our Star Wars Resistance recap episode, which I actually recently lis- like listened to a little bit of again to get ready for this, because I was like, I don't re- even really remember the episode that we recorded together. And it was so funny, because that was around the time where we were first starting to kind of like talk and sort of get to know each other. And like, we didn't really like, we listening to myself, I can hear how nervous I am because I was like, man, this Charles guy is so cool. And he's so smart. And oh my God, I hope I, I, I want him to think nice. Like, like I'm, I'm awesome too. And I'm just like, shut up, Charles. Yeah. How are you doing Good. today? Get the fuck out I have lied successfully. <laughs> I have lied on the internet about being cool and knowledgeable. I'm and actually just fucking annoying. Like I, I there's one moment in it and like, there was something that was like genuinely funny. Like you said something that was genuinely funny, but I also heard that it was my laugh of like, this is funny, but I want the other person to know that they're really funny. And it's just me going. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Safe to say that dynamic has changed a bit. Yeah. Shut up, Charles. I need to talk to Colton. <laughs> <laughs> As you should. Colton is interesting. Colton is interesting. And actually a big reason why I wanted to have Colton on the show is Colton reminds me so much of Chris. Like, I could see Colton's, like, a timeline where Colton becomes Chris in the future, down to the fact that you both love General Grievous. Well, well, it's funny you say that, because just a few minutes ago, Colton, when you said, these are my books, I've read probably all but ten of them, and I looked at your bookshelves in the back, and I did a little math about your age. I like to see that bookshelf in 20 years. I know what that I know what I know what's go, gonna be going on behind you in 20 years. 20 years you're gonna have about three thousand books behind you. You're gonna have read about fifty percent of them, and the other fifty percent of them you're hoarding for your old age and just so you know you have something to read at all times that's fresh. You'll have stuff there that you're saving and <laughs> going like, well, I'll read this someday, but I'm gonna wait and savor it. That's my prediction. I, I, I had that it. same bookshelf. I had that same bookshelf at your age, and then it it just it, it, they grow. <laughs> Colton, what are you saying, sweetie? Oh, I, I'm just I'm looking forward to that prediction coming. True. I will. 
like the, the moment that I like it hit me was when you were actually on Gold Squadron Gaze, and I can't remember who it was. I think it was the Outbound Flight episode, but like multiple Wilson... episodes, by the way, Colton has been on Gold Squadron. Uh, they've they've kind of become one of our legends correspondents at this point. It's they're my favorite episodes of Gold Squadron Gaze, um, but like you were talking about Outbound Flight, and you whipped out this like random sci-fi book about the history of the kind of ship that outbound flight was and like you dropped this like russian writer or whatever and i was like is this chris oh my god they're the same person oh no there's two of them (laughs) only one's young and has time see i i used to live in a house for a little bit it was one of the first places i lived after i i sort of was soft leaving home at that point it's a weird story but the point is this house had an honest to god library in it and it wasn't like a mansion it wasn't like a particularly huge house but they had just dedicated a room to a library and not just having shelves along the walls like one of my friends does i mean there were several rows deep of books mm-hmm. that's what i imagine colton is heading for that's where i was that's where i was at that's where i was at i had i had three rooms three rooms of books and i had actually forgone bookshelves for milk crates because i could get milk crates at work and then just like hook them together with cable ties and like just mess every few months i would be like i just have to pile books on the floor i have to figure out a more like and I just kept condensing and condensing, and then I'm like, "Well, I'll just set up another one in this room, and that'll and and then uh, I'll put my favorite ones in my room now." And then I had three rooms full of books. <laughs> I do want to ask Colton a question: Why is General Grievous the best character? Because he's well, General Grievous is the second sexiest character in all of Star Wars. Um, the first character, the most sexiest character, is Chicken Legs Mull. Um, <laughs> Christ. Uh, I, do, I don't disagree though because I have like outlined an entire fic about like Mal and Kira doing touch therapy because that's what they, he needs so I, I don't disagree sure but just like with, with those <laughs> he's I it I think it's very important to note that in the season that Maul the first season of Clone Wars that Maul is in after he gets um out of spider mall form um he's just running around naked like the only thing he's wearing is a dicky <laughs> he's just tits out doing crimes fully naked save a dicky and you know what i live for that but anyway general grievous is um second sexiest character and uh i'm not sure that this is uh, fully accurate, but you know it's my opinion. Um, General Grievous is also great disability representation. Um, so you know that that yeah. uh, makes him better in my eyes because um, you know yeah, I he's am, got he's got by, real person by the by by yeah by the by his introduction in in Revenge. Revenge of the Sith. He's like, yeah, dealing with a catastrophic lung injury from Mace Windu, and still, and still doing his job. Yeah, I yeah. I have some 
opinions about his canon backstories established by the Clone Wars, I don't, I don't think it's as good as his Legends one. I think his Legends one makes it much more interesting. Which but, I'm blissfully unaware of. Uh, so he... You at least know the, the Tartakovsky backstory, yeah, though, Chris. You at least yeah. know that much. It's... We we don't have time to go into all that right now, but basically he gets he gets tricked into becoming General Grievous by capitalism. We can we can all guess why I really like the one where capitalism is the real enemy. What you? I'm there no. with you. No, I have never expressed any anti-capitalist sentiments ever in my life wow charles you just ruined colton's view of you forever and always how dare I know this is a shock for people to learn <laughs> speaking of which this is a good tangent for light and dice because you're if you're a familiar person to our our familiar for wow words if you're familiar with our other show uh uh, uh, you'll know all about Colton, uh, not Colton, what the fuck is your name? Charles. This is, Charles. The second, this is the second weekend on a row for the life of me. I cannot remember your name, Charles. <laughs> I don't know what That's okay. I, I sometimes forget my own name, so. I, I don't know what it is. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Hey, you might be wondering what we're doing here, because, you know, we're still introing, and I am apparently good at this job. Um, so this was a show that we wanted to do during the strikes when we were in solidarity, but, like, we just, schedules weren't working, and Chris was moving, and, like, trying to find houses and stuff like that, and it just didn't work out. But I still wanted to do this episode with my fellow co-podcasters, Friend for Lion Dice, and I couldn't think of a name one better than these two to do this show with me. Because Colton, as we established, reminds me so much of Chris, and Charles is an avid listener of the show, so I knew he would be familiar with what Chris likes, and then I, you know, I'm just me, and I'm here with Chris every time. So, what we are doing here is... Long-time listeners know that Chris loves to read. He loves to read. He loves books. He loves books, except for Star Wars books. There's something about Star Wars books he doesn't like. So we are calling this episode, Make Chris Read a Goddamn Star Wars Book. And Colton, Charles, and I have pulled together a list of books that we are going to be pitching to Chris about why they're great and why he should try them and read them. And that is what we're doing here. But we are going to talk a little bit about, because, you know, I'm going to get to, you know, get to know our fellow people here. So uh, our fellow people, guests, that's what you are. You're a guest. Hi. Um, you're not normally guests when I guests talk to you. Guests are people too, though, Hope. I know. but Just Remember that. I, I keep to, having to remind you of that. It's when I talk to them, they're like my co-podcasters. So it's weird if they're guests. Shut up. I, I actually, I listened to a podcast called Ghosts Were People Too. And so my brain just, when Chris said that, filled it in. I was like, wait, does Chris also listen to that podcast? I do not. <laughs> so uh, just to introduce ourselves a little bit more, uh, Colton, Charles, what the hell is a flad? Why do we keep talking about a flad? What the hell is that? All right. Well, uh, okay. We also, we need to find a better terminology for what flat is because i'm tired of saying for light and dice is a actual play podcast that uses star wars 5e uh and is set in the high republic era of star wars uh that follows a bunch of scoundrels uh doing scoundrelly things uh in in the galaxy far far away and a, a very long time ago and it's very fun and nothing ever bad happens in star wars and it's great it's fine everything's good that 
That's a very I'm long sorry. way. Of, that's a very long way of what I usually say. I usually say it's a Star Wars D and D podcast with a bunch of gays that are perpetuating the stereotype that none of us know how to do math. I'm sorry. Hold on, Colton. You're tired of saying it. <laughs> you're yes. tired of saying this. Yes. For yes. a year and a half, a year and a half, I have been closing out Gold Squadron episodes with. You can also find me on Four Light and Dice, a TTRPG podcast set in the High Republic era, DM'd by Chris from Dark Side Divas with our friends Hope from J Guys and Jedi, just from RuPaul's Pod Race, and our friends Robin and Colton. But now Do you, you know how many times I've delivered that? But now At you need to change three. it because Colton has a show, which is the next question that I realized oh, I yeah, skipped I, in I the do. outline. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at this. Uh, uh, yes, uh, Colton about has the right of it. For Light and Dice is an actual play TTRPG podcast. It's It's edited to be sort of a blend between an actual play and a radio play. It is set in Star Wars' New High Republic era which is a nice prequel. It also means that you can listen to the show without listening to any of being familiar with Star Wars at all. We have listeners who that's their only Star Wars story. Uh, and yeah, it follows the Star Wars plot of a group of people in a ship doing things. I, I, I would struggle to explain the overarching plot, but that is the general gist of For Light and Dice. It's very funny, it's very emotional, it's a wild ride. There's some it, just fucking incredible humor. Like, just some of the funniest shit I've ever heard. It, it's, it's good. It's very, very good. And you should listen to it. Ow. <laughs> I hit the <laughs> table. <laughs> She's so, so passionate. Leave that egg crust. Um, also, before we circle back to both of your shows, I want to go into a challenge mode because it is a TTRPG podcast and we do all play characters. So, Colton, you're going to explain Charles's character. Charles, you're going to explain my character. I'm going to explain Colton's character and then we'll cover the rest of the cast. Okay. So um, who does Charles play? Yeah, so when is a... Uh... Gifted kid burnout who uh, <laughs> uh, got a few too many student loans um, and had to drop out of college and then uh, went into trucking uh, and has a caffeine addiction. <laughs> that is a bizarrely accurate description of this character. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and he's blue. He's like blue green. He's a turquoise girl. yeah yeah like kind of a bluish greenish color <laughs> oh jesus that was so much not the direction i thought you were going in colton okay huh i'm not gonna be that funny <laughs> all right charles what is my character describe guys uh have you ever been in a hot topic and one of the managers has clearly been there longer than everyone else. And they're just burned out and tired, but they're still doing their job because they have to look out for their much younger employees. Give that person a gun. That would be how I would describe Gaz. No, Gaz is a Gazo from Dragor 3. Uh, I'm not going to say too much because of spoilers. What Hope has done is, is layer this character with a lot of depth and things are gradually coming out over the course of the season. Uh, but she's sort of the mom friend of the group. 
She's someone who's very passionate. She's someone who's very energetic um, and <laughs> has a lot of opinions about things. Um, and I, that's, the, I mean, that's a, about, okay. A message just popped up. Try to do one in. No, 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 sorry. I, th that was for hope. Oh, for... no, no, I know. I, I planned yeah. this. Okay. I planned. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I planned. Let me come, let me come out and come back in then. And that's, that's basically how I would describe gods in a nutshell without dropping a bunch of spoilers. Hmm. Um, Colton has had the joy of playing two characters, actually. And, part, sorry, I have a hair in my mouth. <laughs> Give me a second. Nah. Um, Colton has had the joy of playing two characters, actually. And um, for certain fun, amazing reasons where you just have to listen. It's so exciting about how this occurred. You should totally listen, guys. Um, uh, their season one character was One In, who was a jizz whaler murder droid gremlin who just loved to kill things and sling jizz everywhere. And I mean the music. Um, and One In is a delight. But because of the fun, exciting things that happened, we actually ended up getting to meet uh, Coriel now, who is One In's maker. No, creator. Maker? Maker? Colton? Uh... Liberator? It's complicated. Uh, it's complicated. It's Star Wars nonsense. Corio has relations to one end, and he is a Quirmian, like Yario proof. Um, he is a Force-sensitive person who is not a Jedi, which is a lot of fun, because it's caused a lot of confusion. And he just joined us, and for re really, really good reasons. I wouldn't trust our group either, and neither does Corio, so... Let me let me turn this around and ask Chris, who now Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. You have listened to For Light and Dice. I have. Would you say that we we you have? We all get it. I've listened to an episode of it. Hope I li I stock out all the stuff that everybody does with me. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell was going on mostly because I just sort of like popped in on one, but yeah. Well, I was going to ask if you thought we did an accurate job of representing the characters as you listened to them. Yes. No, like, I I knew if Hope had something to do with it, that it would be filled with well-rounded characters. Oh, honey. Well, that's, that's sort of your thing, Hope. <laughs> but it's also humorous. It's also, you guys are definitely, like, you know, planning it for fun. You know, a lot of a lot of that stuff isn't like it, 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 it doesn't have to be fun. You know what I mean? And you guys are obviously having a riot doing it. And that's what's that. I think that's the selling point of of For Light and Dice is that when when you listen to people who are having fun, you you get caught up in it, you know? I was raising the point to my partner the other day. We, we were talking about various game systems. Um, and he, he had made some comment about the Star Wars 5e, which is the system we used. And I was like, you have to understand the way that that system's designed, honey, is that it's not meant to be a mechanically like gamed system. Like the people who are playing Star Wars 5e 
don't just want to play a tabletop game. They specifically want to play Star Wars. So some of these skills and some of these like traits and things are more built for world exploration and more built for the role play component of it than something like, you know, D&D would be. And I think the other Chris, who's our, our DM on For Light and Dice, does an excellent job of under, one, understanding that is going to be what the system is really well used for, but also two, being able to just roll with things. Like it takes a lot as a DM to sit back and do nothing mm-hmm. and just let the characters do stuff mm-hmm. and not stick in, your head in and be like, maybe you should do this uh, uh-huh. or try to steer things a certain way. Other crystals just let us do wild shit, right, Colton? Yeah, I do. I have no idea. I, I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> and then early, this is this is not that much of a spoiler. Um, about a third of the way through season one, we go to a planet that Colton basically suggested out of the blue that has almost no lore information about it. Chris had to, other Chris had to make all of it up. Then we went. And he and did a, a wonderful job, job. He did, yeah. He did, he did such a good job with that. Yagdul has like twelve moons. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there, there's a little a little uh, entry into what we do over there. We are also joined, as uh, Charles said, by Jess from Rupalp's Podrace, and they play Lysander, a force-sensitive human. And we also have Zero by our other co-podcaster, Robin, who you're going to actually hear in a couple weeks because we have Robin scheduled to do our last Andor episode with us. Yeah, they're going to be doing Rick's Road with us. Um, so I'm very excited because they love they love Andor so much that it's ruined all Star Wars for them. <laughs> so, um, so you'll hear Robin in a couple uh, couple episodes. I keep wanting to say a couple weeks, but we're not weekly anymore. Um, and uh, they play Zero, and Zero is amne- has amnesia, so they don't even know what a Star Wars is. So it's fine. So you don't even need to know Star Wars. But I do want to touch on it so fast because you also have other shows as well, especially you, Colton. You have some ner- some new shows going on. So what is Nerdsmith and Pain Apart? Yeah, so <clears throat> Nerdsmith is a uh, a group of um, TTRPG content creators that um, stream on Twitch. Uh, we have shows weekly um, right now as of recording. Um, we have, uh, let me go to the calendar. Uh, we have a, a long-running series on Fridays called Dragon's Crown. Um, and then in February, we're going to be starting a Vampire the Masquerade game, um, which is going to be fun. And then we also are, we do Paint of Heart, which is my show, uh, where me and my co-host Angela, uh, paint our little, uh, our, our little models. Uh, she paints, uh, D&D figurines. I paint Warhammer. And we just sort of talk about whatever 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 comes up and it's very fun chill and uh yeah it's fun it is super chill y'all like i've been going to these streams except for the the ones what that fall on jake as and jedi recording nights um but like they're so chill i it's just them crafting and you can craft with them one night i just played animal crossing and listened um colton told me all about the D lore of the not but whole portal world called sigil which is a donut land 
And it's just fun. I can't recommend Pain Apart if you just want like a really chill time. So. Uh. It's uh, Tuesdays at uh, 7 o'clock Mountain Standard Time, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern, I think. Yep. Yeah. But cannot recommend Pain of Heart enough. It's super, super nice and chill. God, Charles, what is Gold Squadron Gaze? A mistake. (laughs) 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 No, uh, Gold Squadron Gaze is my show. Um, We actually just changed the intro to it to reflect how the show has changed. It used to be billed as a weekly show where two Star Wars-loving gays would review each episodes of their favorite TV shows while also being gay as hell. Uh, We have now actually had to change the intro to be more broad because we've been branching out from TV shows lately. We've seen so much success doing the books and so much success doing the comics that we've we've kind of rebranded. So what essentially the show is now is it's me and my, uh, I hesitate to use the word friend, because if you listen to the show, you know that word may not necessarily be accurate. But it's me and my uh, co-podcaster, Bradley. Um, I met him in college. He works in reality TV. I have a degree in screenwriting. So we used to we used to go into the episodes and kind of analyze them as Star Wars fans and as people who are trained in television. And now we just do whatever Star Wars media strikes our fancy. We, we tend to focus on the TV shows because that's kind of our thing. But we've also done the we've done the movies. We've done Rogue One. Uh, we've done comics. And it's it's a great time. We go through them in exhaustive detail. We try to be critical of the material without being negative or toxic about the material. Uh, try to look at it and really give our honest thoughts as well as try to construct why a piece of media is set up the way it is and what the intentionality might be and does does that intentionality work. Uh, if you like J-Guys and Jedi, you will probably like Gold Squadron. We do very similar things. I might be biased, but Charles' show is better than ours. <laughs> Thanks, Hope. Uh, I'm not going to touch that. I have to live with me, Chris. I know me. I have to live with me, and I have to deal with Bradley weekly. Yeah. Though, Oh, that's true. I don't know. Chris might be better than Bradley. Chris is definitely better than Bradley, and I can say that because I know Bradley's not listening. (laughs) (laughs) Don't pull Uh, me into this. Hey, you are, though. You are. And you're... You're also better than other Chris. I can say that because I, I don't know if he's listening. But if he is, haha, Chris. Aha, no, Bradley, the dynamic between me and Bradley is interesting because it, it started out to where I was the sort of more knowledgeable, like just on Star Wars facts and just like sort of trivia and, and looking at details. Like I had the ability because I've been, I've been analyzing Star Wars since you know, I was six years old. I've been in this fight since I was six years old. That I I just do these things instinctually now. And it used to be that, that he would approach it from a more surface level and we would have these discussions about it. The thing is, Bradley's now been doing Gold Squadron for three years. And I've trained him to think like I think. So now That's he dangerous. will also notice things. 
that he would not have noticed years ago. It's his character development is very interesting, especially since we taught him how to read. This has been the best thing. Uh, and if there weren't other questions, I know that that would be a segue. But we did teach Bradley how to read. He does voraciously read Star Wars books now, at least the canon ones. And he's better for it. And he is better for it. I. Yeah, I, I want to go into these last two questions before we get into the meat of why we're here, because I also know that you are both such voracious readers, not just of the current canon novels, but of also legends. And there's this whole like tax, like taxes, Texas, taxes, Texas. Ah, there's this whole toxic mindset that legends is for with some people that legends is better than canon or canon has to fight legends and they cannot breathe and be have they had to battle at all times because we've got small jokes or whatever but i know that's not true because i have heard you both talk about this so for the both of you why can legends content coexist with current canon content I think I, I'll paraphrase something that I've been saying, and I, I once said a version of this to a room full of Legends Con attendees. But I think that there's a lot of value in stories. If we look at mythologies, because Star Wars is a mythology, Star Wars is a modern mythology. If we look at the history of mythologies throughout all of human history, going all yeah. the way back to the days that we would tell stories around the campfire, they didn't all line up, but every one of these stories existed for some reason, and a lot of these stories had some value, either at the time that they were originally told or to us now. You only have to look at the Percy Jackson show to see how much value the Greek myths still have in our modern day, and we've repurposed them and we're using them for different ways, but those stories still have value. As, as someone who is a big fan of Lore Olympus, which is a retelling of Persephone and Hades with all the gods, yes, totally agree. There you go. So I, I yeah. think that... How many idea... times has the Arthurian legend been just, you know, adapted and changed and, you know, how many different versions of that are there out there, you know? Exactly. And I think that you have to approach legends and canon from the same viewpoint. And it's not to say you have to like both. You know, I know people who who really dislike broadly all of Legends. I know people who are Legends fans that broadly really dislike basically most of canon. You can usually find, it's, it's rare to find somebody who genuinely has consumed a lot of the material that will broadly say that they dislike something because generally you can pick in and find things that they actually like. But I think that generally broadly when you're looking at these things, you have to look at it in the context of history and in the context of mythology. And I think that Legends is important because one, some of these stories are really good. Like some of them, we're gonna talk about some today. I know there are at least three on the list that rank up there with some of my favorite Star Wars stories and they are Legends. But I also think that there's value in looking at them just as a broader fan that wants to understand the stories that are currently being told. If you want to understand some of the elements of the sequel trilogy, it's in Legends. There's stuff in there that straight up was just in Legends. Yep. That they either arrived at from the same way. Fucking somehow Palpatine returned. The line is not from Legends, but that fucking happened. 
it was stupid then too, but it, yeah. it, it did happen. And Rise of Skywalker didn't invent that. And I think that to to make a long, because I'm I'm approaching Chris levels of rambling because I have a lot of thoughts and I have a lot of passion on the topic, because I also get really fucking mad when people dismiss legends out of hand. Because that's my Star Wars. That's what I grew up with. And I also get really mad when people dismiss the new canon out of hand because that's some kid's Star Wars that you're just shitting on. But I think you don't have to necessarily like both of them, but if the idea that multiple timelines and multiple versions of the story can't exist, I have horrible news for you about every piece of storytelling ever in the history of human fucking history. The idea of a narrative canon is ridiculous to me. And I, I appreciate how it keeps things consistent, but making the fact that something has to be canonical to be good is just mind-blowingly bizarre to me. I blame Constantine personally. I think the Council of Nicaea was what broke Star Wars, but we don't have time to get into that. <laughs> no, no, hold on. <laughs> how, Did you just I, warhammer me? I no, I did not. I just actual human history view. I, I, oh, I, God, I, right. I forgot okay. there was an actual Council of Nicaea. There was an actual Council of Nicaea. It was one of the biggest deals in early Christianity. Okay, it's also on one of the second. biggest deals in Warhammer lore, but that's not what we're here to discuss today. Hey, hey hold on for a second. So I'm, I'm hoping you guys can hear this. Do you hear this bag that's opening? Ow! Yeah. I, I, Unfortunately. I hear it very loudly. <laughs> so that is me opening my Cheez-Its. Because I want to hear about the Council of Nicaea and what the fuck you meant by that. Go. Uh, oh, yeah. So the Council of Nicaea and Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> um, broadly speaking, pre sort of the Catholic Church and pre sort of Christianity being established as a major religion, you didn't really have this notion. There were state religions. Uh, you know, there were the state, there was a state religion for Rome and there were state religions before, but you didn't necessarily have the idea of something needing to be true to the same extent. You look at Greek mythology and there's like, there's hundreds of retellings of the same story and it grows and evolves because Greece has such a long history. Yeah. And even yeah. what do you want? The cat has woken up. I forgot he was in here. And I'm fond of saying like- Jonathan I'm, Harker! Hello, Mr. Harker. Do you do you Hi, want to have buddy. an opinion on this? Yes. You're gonna be ranting very passionately. Yes. Can you hear is, him? Yes. Is Miss Bernice? Can Miss Bernice hear him, Chris? I'm surprised she has not come into the room yet. Do you want to? Touch and uh, that's we're 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 in Bernice's uh, slumber time right now. She's probably somewhere in our living room in front of a heat vent. To make a, a long story short, the Council of Nicaea was one of the first times that Christianity had to really officially reckon with its doctrinal disputes and sort of came up with the idea that there is an official canonical version of their essentially texts. Which and is where we get the word canon. Which is where we get the word canon. And so I think that that fundamentally broke like generally the idea of storytelling forever for all of human history because what was the origin of stories if not mythology so that's that's my belief 
It's also just really funny to drop I blame Constantine for Star Wars discourse into conversations and run. No, because now I'm just eating No, I think that's listing. pretty accurate, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I do blame that. Constantine for this because of the idea of something something is not canon or I don't consider something canon so it doesn't count and it doesn't have any value. If a narrative exists, it there's very precious few narratives that I have ever looked at in my life and gone, you have no value whatsoever. You say nothing and you mean nothing. There's, there's precious few that I think have ever existed in human history. Even if they're things that maybe aren't saying things that are great, there's value we can take from those texts and from those stories, even about learning about the author, learning about the mentality of the author, learning about the time in which they were written. Um, The only thing I can really think of off the top of my head is uh, the final episode of Game of Thrones. (laughs) I see you fucking batting cleanup piece on David and Dan that was it fucking Variety ran a couple of days ago. And Thank they were God they didn't get a Star Wars film. Thank God. Oh, my Lord. This article was fucking ridiculous because they were like, oh, they got Brian Cogman to come in and basically say, nobody that was on the Game of Thrones set had a bad word to say about D&D. Yeah, tell that to the woman who was waterboarded for hours. I'm sure she has some opinions. Or, um, you know, the woman who was just like, yeah, I was not safe on that set as I was naked everywhere. Yeah, no, it's... <sighs> Not to go on a, a extended tangent off of a joke. Man, I kind of just want to have a podcast, Chris. I, I kind of just want to have an episode where it's just like like pa- Charles uh, tangent for like two hours because I'm having the best time just eating cheese and listening to. Bradley cuts all these out, by the way. Well, we don't. <laughs> we don't cut nothing out. Hell well, no. we do sometimes, but very, very rarely. No, I like. like anyway, that's I, why I legends... can make it weirder and say that I'm getting hope for stories in the future because of quantum physics. <laughs> I think the sort of pop culture um, sort of half half understanding like multiverse theory, like it's been brewing since the 60s with like comic books started doing alternate universes and stuff like that. But they always always were trying to be like, oh, all the multiple user universes are fighting to so they can all become or whatever. But, like, in recent years with, like, the Spider-Verse movies, the Spider-Verse movies, I think, are great for little kids to see because they basically say, yeah, all these all these stories are real. <laughs> it, like, makes it literal and, and said, oh, yeah, well, if you don't like that story, it happened, you know, in another dimension, you know, where they all, where everything happens, you know, so... So basically, almost any kind of story is has some sort of validity, is some sort of canonness to to just to some other reality or whatever. And I I think that makes sense. And that also has that that I've always been able to sort of you know not really care if something's non canonical or you know as long as the story's good. I'm sorry, Jonathan just fell out of my lap he was sitting on my lap he's he's fine he landed on his feet he was sitting standing so standing on my lap receiving pets and he starts leaning over and just sort of fell off (laughs) 
What a good boy. He's back in my lap now. What a good I've, I've had cats. I've had cats time. like that. They just get a little too relaxed. They, they can relax a little too easily. I'm sorry, Colton. I completely hijacked the question to go on the same tangent that I've been going on for literally years into microphones. Uh, why can legends and canon coexist? They can't. They can't exist in the same canon because Star Wars, modern Star Wars, does not have the use on Vong. The best creation of Star Wars legends that ever existed. They were a race of perfectly designed evil people that wanted to take over the galaxy and that they did and that it was bad but it's so good it's better than like it's uh, did they steal your script yes not to not to um well, i thought that was gonna be longer later actually. on <laughs> not to spoil later on but um i have a, a distinct feeling through the force uh by which i mean i'm using my eyeballs to look at the outline the the Yuzan Vong may come up. I have no idea. What you, I pl I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> I respectfully so invoke the rights and privileges contained herein. I'm gonna yes. put my cheese down. So I'm gonna sadly skip the last question because uh, I'm looking at time. So let's get into what we're really here for. We are here to pitch Chris books and trying to get him to read a goddamn Star Wars book. So. The way I want to do this is we'll each, we'll take turns uh, like with our different choices. Charles, you have the least and me and Colton have the most. So what we'll do is we will pitch the book to Chris and like say why it's good and why he should read it. And then Chris, I would like you to give your thought back about like if it sounds like something that might be in your ballpark. If you're not sure, you can ask follow-up questions. Does that sound good, everybody? All right. Do you want me to you want me to provide a little context about my attitude? Please. <laughs> yes. Actually, yes. That'll be very helpful because I know it, but they don't. <clears throat> well, I was a very early precocious reader. Like my grandparents taught me to read at like three years old, and so like by th three three or four years old, I could grab my kids' books, you know, my my storybooks, and and read them myself, and was just like. In the in the summer when my mother would work, we would stay with this other family and play with their kids and something. But half the time I would just like take off and go and hang out in the library all day and just like pulling down books and, and reading them. And I got like way too precocious, like way too precocious, like six years old. I was pulling Animal Farm off. I was pulling Animal Farm off my parents bookshelf and sneaking it and reading it. Eight years old, I'm starting to read Stephen King books and having to hide them under my bed because my mother would be like, no, no, no. And uh, and before you know it, I'm pulling a copy of Naked Lunch off the <laughs> off the and reading Naked Lunch at like 10 years, you know, William Burroughs at like 10 years old. And and just just, you know, going like I would be at the library and um the new um there would be the teachers section of the library where the teachers got their books to, and i remember this book called executioner song by norman mailer and it was a thousand page book on the life of gary gilmore who all all of you are probably too young to remember gary gilmore but he was the first person executed in the united states in like 20 years at that time or something like that he was this guy in utah 
and it, and I was like a thousand page book. Can I read that? And and I would be like, well, one way to find out. And I would sign it out of the library and, and read it. So I was like reading like crazy and and start and like reading like and now is where now is is where the attitude comes in like real like off like author author you know like I would like read all the John Irving books when they would come out and uh, and I was reading a lot of science fiction when I was I remember being like I had to have been like in kindergarten or first grade when this. Um, couple were were renting part of our house and lived there and uh, I'll always remember his name Mark Sokoloff he was the boyfriend of the girl who who lived in our apartment in the house and uh, he was a big science fiction fan and he gave me and I had them right up until six months ago all his he like he he's like I'm you know here's the basic Isaac Asimov books you know here's um Here's iRobot and, you know, and here's basic Arthur C. Clarke books about, you know, 2001 and Space Odyssey and and his and all these. Um, gr- just basically the great science fiction books of like the 60s and 70s to read. And those those were what I cut my teeth on. Like I, I can still remember sitting down to read iRobot by Isaac Asimov. And uh, so. And I was a big Star Trek fan before Star Wars came out. Hold on, just still a big Star Trek. Shut the fuck up first for half a second. Fun fact: Colton's character wanted is named after Isaac Asimov's character, right? No. Um, oh, never mind. <laughs> no, uh, uh, IA1N <laughs> is named after uh, Ian M. Banks, um, who is one of my favorite sci-fi authors. Well, then I'm just gonna shut up. Continue, Chris. Anyway. Anyway, like when I was a kid, Thanks, you could you could I would see Star Trek books on the shelves and there were like adaptations of the TV shows. So I I was like, I'm I can read Star Trek books and like to say that they were like, you know, t- as a big Star Wars Star Trek fan seeing like a book about Spock or something was like, ooh, and I would read them and they would be like pulling teeth for me because I was like. I I don't know if I knew like these aren't well written or whatever or whatever, but like my my experience with with tie-in books was never really like I would always get if I saw a movie I would get the tie-in book to it because I knew I could glean extra info. You know the book always had a few extra little little story elements or character elements, so you could get more from the movie from it. But I always noticed very rarely were they like fun to read, you know, like a like a well-written book, one of which I do remember being a good written movie adaptation was uh, um, Grease, <laughs> of all things, was like had had some life to the writing of it. And I just and, and I and whenever I would try to read tie in books except for when um splinter of the mind's eye came out which was the first star wars book that was you know not based on a movie and the you know the story of that was that was a potential if star wars didn't make as that much money and they had to do a sequel that was low budget you know that's what splinter of the mind's eye was it was basically the 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 story going on if star wars had to make a low budget movie and I remember loving that book and 
and then came the um, Heir to the Empire trilogy. And I remember being like, okay, this is, it, it was well hyped up and, you know, it was, you know, this is going to be the first Star, Star Wars stuff and, you know, continuing on with the story. So I was very curious and it was like pulling teeth to get through that first book. And then the second and third books were even, and of course I'm, I'm stubborn. Once I start a book, I'm, I'm committed to the end. And, uh, and that was a trilogy. So I'm like, I'm going to read this whole trilogy. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe it'll get better. And I just didn't like it. And it's, it's soured me. It's made me like, I think the only other Star Wars book that, and I didn't even read it. I listened to the audio book death troopers out of curiosity. And, uh, I just, I, 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 I'm kind of a snob. I I feel that a lot of times it's 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 I'm true. Sorry. I think a lot of times you Chris, get authors for hire. Chris, Colton, don't do it. Col Colton quickly had to edit something on the document. I um, about your snobbishness about Death Troopers. We're actively watching Colton delete Death Troopers off their list. Was that a suggest? Well, I I have I have read and and it was it was entertaining it was entertaining especially as an audiobook to to an extent not to plug my but, own podcast uh but i will say if people are interested in in uh hearing what death troopers is like colton and i did cover it on gold squadron uh i did also want to say I, I uh, think you should still do it, Colton, because I think you could pitch it well. Oh no! no, no. Oh no! I now, saw the one that now. I saw the one that Colton added. Yeah, um, now I'm doing. I do want to say I do want to say that it, it is somewhat validating to hear Chris talk about Heir to the Empire, because kind of a hot take that I have, and it's it's a hot take I know that some people share is that the the Thrawn trilogy, while it was important, it is the reason that you have Star one of the big reasons you have Star Wars. Like, the existence of those books are part of the reason that the prequels exist. They don't hold up well. And they're not necessarily what I would call peak Star Wars. I see a lot of people recommending them to first-time readers, and I'm like, um, maybe maybe don't. Because one, they don't age great. Two, they, they have these weird inconsistencies, like, even with the, the Legends material that would come after. And three... Zahn didn't really figure out how to write Star Wars super no. well at that point. No, he, he, was, he was writing some other science fiction. He was writing book, some other, you know, and it's not a science fiction. Right now, um, he gets better. Universe really, he gets better as he writes more Star Wars books because he keeps writing them. Uh, for all my complaints about Outbound Flight, it is definitely as like a Star Wars book. Yes. But Heir to the Empire is, like, that trilogy, there's some interesting ideas in it, but you can tell that it it's very 90s sci-fi. It's very 90s pulp novel trying to be serious. It's it's not a series of books that anyone bought brought today. And part of the benefit nowadays, too, and one of the reasons that I'm so glad Hope asked us to do this episode Part of the benefit to there being so much Star Wars now that's accessible is you don't have to settle for what's out there. 
you can find something that looks good to you and read that. And chances are good, especially with the new stuff, like everything that, that they've been putting out post-acquisition, chances are good you can read it in isolation. A lot of the canon books that I'm seeing that are on the list that we're going to bring, all but one are standalone. There's, there's one trilogy on here, but all but one are standalone. And that's one of the nice things about the way that Disney publishing has been handling it, except for the High Republic, that's its own little special thing off to the side. But for the most part, they they know that like somebody somebody isn't going to be picking up New Jedi Order book 20, right? They're not trying to push this thing out. They're saying, here's a specific story we, we want to tell that exists. You can pick it up, you can read it, and you can pretty much be done. And... Yes, so it is, it is somewhat validating to hear that Heir to the Empire was weird even at the time. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I actively didn't, was reading it, and I'm like, I don't like that, I don't, I, I, and I Hope don't can like attest to this, I, <laughs> I haven't, and we haven't got to Ahsoka yet, but Ahsoka is the first time I've seen a uh, depiction of Thrawn that I'm like, okay, something could be done. Now it, it isn't there yet, as for him as a as a character that I like, that stands up to his reputation. But having like the 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 actor who is playing him and the way they set him up in the show makes him seem threatening. Through the the heir to the empire story, like I read it because everybody was like. Boy, they came up, you know, they really came up with a good character with Thrawn. It was what was needed. And he's just this amazing character because he's super smart and he's a super threat to the, you know. And when I read it, I was like, this guy isn't that smart. And he doesn't really <laughs> like he doesn't draw blood. He doesn't like, you know, he he it's just a, a series of and and very much like Rebels was like this, too. It was a series of. The Jedi are up to something, you know, the, you know, the good guys are up to something. Thrawn figures out what they're going through with his Sherlock Holmes mind. And then he comes to get them and then they get away because the, of usually the force or luck or, you know, just generally, you know, that the, the chaos of the situation takes it out of Thrawn's, you know, calculations or whatever. But like, if you were to make this guy a threatening character, he's got to draw blood. He's got to do something that just like makes you think, oh, geez, this guy is a danger to all the characters that I that I know and love. And I've never seen it, you know, and when I was reading the book, I'm like, I'm not seeing what people are telling me about about I all will this say, hon, that I almost put the first book of the new Thrawn trilogy, Thrawn 2016 on here. And the only reason I almost did that is because you were always saying that, like, we have only ever seen Thrawn from other people just going, oh, wow, we Thrawn is so smart. Um, but it's the only book that's in Thrawn's point of view. It's the only book we're actually in his head actively seeing him deducing. And it's also the only book that Timothy Zahn has said he really hated writing because it was really hard to write Thrawn in that book. But it's actually, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. it's really and, refreshing and, though because you actually see him and watch him like deduce people. Like he he's looking at Palpatine just being like, all right, what the fuck is this guy? <laughs> 
Um, and it's it's that's that's a big reason why I really love that book. Um, I almost had it on my list, so I'll say it's my honorable mention. <laughs> like, uh, uh, just to uh, pull out a weird example of what like I like, and this is an unrealistic thing that I want, as most things that I want are. But um, when when ET came out, and they did the novelization for ET. Um, they hired uh, William Kotzwinkle, who is a, just a wonderful artist, a writer on his own. You know, he was, you know, just a, a you know, a regular art, writer who, like, one of his best books is uh, um, Feta Morgana, which is his retelling of the Arthur legend, you know, from from a different, he, he approaches it as if it was an oral tradition, you know, so there's, it's it's written in as somebody talking and uh he's he, and he did this great book called Dr. Rat about um animals it's this sounds horrible it is horrible it's it's animals in a testing lab and this one rat that just keeps you know that that and they're talking animals you know so it's all from the animal's point of view in a in a lab and there's a rat there who you know is 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 into it is this like okay you guys you you, you don't understand you got to run on the treadmill that's you know and and keeps the animals you know participating in it and it's this it's incredible you know book but they hired him to write the et novelization and the et novelization is a joy to read it's 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 beautiful it captures the and it gets into people's heads and it's it's written by a writer who sat down and seriously like uh, if this is going to be a book with my name on it i'm going to write this like i would write any other book and then he went on and wrote a sequel to et that's also wonderful it's actually like one of the one of the first books i've recovered you know like went on ebay and was like okay i'll get you know i've 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 got like four or five books now that like for my new book collection and and one of them is a sequel to ET which is a wonderfully written book it's you know and and it cat you know it, it's inside the characters and stuff but it's 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 written by somebody like and I don't want to call Star Wars authors hacks although I'm sure there are have been some hacks involved oh, I do but I, it's it's several it's uh drop them i, I can't say it because i haven't read enough of them but i know they're out i know they're out there and you and, mean karen and, and a lot of god we don't have time to get we don't have time to get into my see i know i i many know many feelings on karen her, travis love her, her love her books like that that like have recommended her books those her her books to me i what, she did she write sucks. she wrote the series about like the medical frigate right uh, I'm going Star? to sit back and see what happens here. Are, are you talking about MedStar? Because I don't think that was her. Okay. I might be getting her confused with somebody else. She did a lot of the Mandalorian books. She did basically. So Karen Travis, really briefly, uh, she did. She's <laughs> most back, famous Colton, for doing. It's going to be a minute. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. Oh, I, I, I have really been. am not going to go off on this tangent. But very briefly, she's the most famous for writing the Mandalorian, like, Republic Commando books. She's most famous for Republic Commando, and she's most famous for three of the books in Legacy of the Force. 
And these are the books where she did a lot of the work. So a lot of we think of as Mandalorians came from two people. They came from Abel Pena's History of the Mandalorians in Insider, which I've met the man. I've sat on a panel with him. He's lovely. Karen Travis had some weird ideas about masculinity. And it's very, very like. There's some issues that I take with the way that she's written The Mandalorians. And then she threw a giant fit because uh, the people in Clone Wars didn't write them exactly perfectly like the way that she wrote them down to all of the details uh, and rage quit her book series that she was writing for them. She's also a huge turf and a fascist and just a terrible person. Oh, lovely. And and so uh, I'm fully justified. in. I used to say that like, Oh, I dislike her books, but I don't know her as a person. I have now been made aware of some of the things that she's said on her Twitter. And uh, no, I'm I'm not a fan of, of Karen Travis, but I'm also really not a fan of sort of. And I understand that old school Mandalorian, like it, it, that cosplay is important to a lot of people because credit where credit is due. Some of the early queer representation we got from Star Wars was in some of those Mandalorian characters, a couple of those Mandalorian characters. But I think the underlying ideas I have issues with, and so I just, I I, I don't. I don't when it comes to her uh, and her, her books. So y'all want to pitch some books? And, yes, and, let's pitch some books that are good. Oh, okay, uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll just rule. I'll just I'll just get my 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 I'll wrap up my last little point is I also think like like it's it's hypocritical in a way because I'll read Star Wars comics all day and there's I mean there's you could fill a room with Star Wars comics that were written by hacks and that are terrible but I think Star Wars almost exists to me as like half of the half of the um half of half of it the storytelling is visual so i think it translates better to a comic book you know a story like i think the um the heir to the empire reads a lot better as as the you know the two trade paperbacks that it that it ended up being you know as in in that comic book form it was much more pleasant to read it that way because there's the visual element to it also Yes, like, except for the part and, where they have a pregnant Leia running around in underwear, which I have such a massive issue with. Anyway, continue. well, yeah, there isn't yeah, underwear well, in yeah, space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, you were saying, Chris. <laughs> but, but um, I think the the <laughs> element of of visual yeah. storytelling gets lost in books a lot, and they end up reading like a regular science fiction book, and. It's and Star Wars should to me should feel more fantasy than it's it's more Dungeons and Dragons than it is, you know, um, an Isaac Asimov book, you know, that, uh, as far as that goes. So when it's presented in a science fiction way in a book, it just doesn't it doesn't really like I, I often think they should have hired like some of the really pulpier science fiction writers something like harry harrison or something like that who are who write action sequences also and you know and and a chapter will end with you know with an 
uh, insane cliffhanger, you know, like very pulpy, which is what Star Wars movies are pretty pulpy in that. So like, yeah. And, and, and then, and then the problem is there's just so many books for me to, that, it, that I was just like, you know what, I'm just not even going to deal with it, you know? And that's, that's where Chris is today. So no, no, no sweat, y'all. <laughs> y- y'all feeling up to this? Uh, I now, yeah. do your best. <laughs> All right. Bring so, me books. So, uh, looking at since you have three and me and Colton have four, uh, I'll, me and Colton are going to do a round and then I'll bring you in. Okay, Charles? Okay. So, Colton, pitch a book to Chris and then Chris, you got to give your feedback. You okay. Me? All right. <clears throat> I'll start with kind of the silliest one. Because, you know, Star Wars, in all its glory, is silly. It's it's very silly. So I, for my first book, would like to present Star Wars, Tales from the Maz Eisley Cantina. It is a collection of short stories that uh, each story is the... um, is the story of a different character that we see in the first movie in the cantina. Sorry to to interrupt, but briefly, I just want to point out this is Legends. This is a Legends yes. book. Yeah, this is this, this is, is not from a certain point of view. This is a different different thing. Um, this is a certain point of view's precursor uh, series. Um, for instance, uh, we get to learn that uh, the uh, Oh god. What are they called? The Gotel. The Gotel that we see in the uh cantina is named Feltipern Travag. And in his story, he falls in love with the um oh uh what is he falls in love with a uh specific alien who I forget the name of the species, but it turns out that um, when they have sex, they murder the partner. So um, <laughs> it's this love story until uh, he gets murdered. Uh, it's very funny. We also learn that the Devronian is a genocidal maniac hiding on Tatooine uh, for war crimes. Uh, and he has a love of jizz. Um, he has a massive collection of uh, just tapes, and the only reason he's in the cantina is to watch the, uh, you know, the greatest jizz band in the galaxy, Figrin, Dan, and the Modal Nodes, which we also get a story from, um, called We Don't Do Weddings, the band's tale. Uh, we learn <laughs> about the Jawas, we learn about the Tulls, uh, and... Uh, we also get a story from Gorito's point of view, which is very funny, um, because it's trying so hard to make Gorito an interesting character, and it just doesn't. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it's very funny, it's very cute, and uh, I would definitely recommend it, because it's very easy reading, and it doesn't need to be all done at once. And uh, it's kind yeah. of pulpy too. Oh, I've, it's almo- so I've almost read that book about five times. I, I, I actually had that book 
on my bookshelf because it had that definitely had a higher chance for me to crack that open because a it's short stories by a bunch of different authors so if something's not to my liking it's going to be done you know really quickly and you know and and it, and, and it also can be sort of a sampler you know of you know okay i like this this author i'll 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 read more of them you know if yeah, they if yeah. they write a book or, or or something but yeah that 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 one was that one was in my bookshelf and was uh, on a list of one day i would crack it open so we're starting out strong we're start it, it reminds me of my favorite star wars comics at the time when this came out were the star wars tales comics because oh yes 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 because they were a bunch of short stories and they often were there was one artist who was kind of like from the underground independent stuff that would do the 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 jizz band adventures and they were always very funny and also relatable if you've ever been in a band they were obviously somebody who's who's been in a band before and were the forerunner of that um hope's favorite um oh what was the what was the star wars short cartoons yes yes your 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 favorite one of the visions one was 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 the band Yes, yeah. yes. My my yeah, love, yeah. my very, very my, similar. My, star I, waver, my baby, my sweet boy, my forever child, my my good boy, my forever. I love him. The, nothing ever bad happened. It's the best Star Wars ever made. Tatooine Rhapsody. The last fucking episode we reviewed before the actors' strike started. I am so mad at you that you didn't finish Visions before starting Ahsoka. Uh, we can have a separate conversation about that. That was a discussion that was had with myself and Bradley on the production. Just know that I am waiting. Uh, Bradley. (laughs) It doesn't matter. We're talking books. The the TLDR is you will get more visions closer together as a result. Uh, He he didn't want to split visions up like that. He wanted to take as much of it together as possible. But yes, the last one we did was taking things as much as possible. Anyway, I'm going to drink my coffee, and we're going to see what Hope <laughs> has to say about the first book on her list. Of, so I do well, want to touch on one thing um, on, on telling on Colton. Uh, you also might like, from a certain point of view, Chris, if you love short stories. That was because, in my yeah. bookshelf, too. Because I think they you have... sent me. A, you might have sent me the copy of that. I somebody didn't... sent me a co- Somebody sent me a copy of that. Yeah, I had that. I don't know. But they have one for each movie of the original trilogy, and it's all short stories by different authors. And just saying that you might like those too, because it's all. The... I, I've read half of the first one, and then I got to the Cantina one, and I was just like, "There are so many aliens in the Cantina." <laughs> so, um, my first book is actually one of my personal favorite Star Wars books, and. Um, I also think this is a very first good first book for people who want to try reading Star Wars um, because it is the story of the original trilogy, but with the camera panned over here so you can talk about other characters. But the original trilogy is still in the background and it is Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. Uh, Claudia Gray might be my favorite Star Wars author because she really understands characters and emotions, which, you know, are oftentimes missing sometimes in Star Wars. And like so these are very, very, very character-focused books. And what Lost Stars does is follows the stories of two characters named Thane and Cyanna. And they are childhood friends. But because of Imperial propaganda, 
uh, coming to their very, very, very poor world, Tarkin shows up and like he's just like, wow, this place sucks and you have no jobs and no futures. Don't you want to go to a place where you have futures? And they're all like, wow, we propaganda. Yeah. And so they both enroll in the Imperial Academy. And what I like about this is it really actually shows all the levels of how the Imperial machine works because you watch Cyan and Thane Thane and Cyana go through being children, being swept up, not knowing better, through the training level, showing how the Imperial machine breaks them down and pits them against each other into all the way up to the Death Star destroying Alderaan and what it where morals fall and lie. And I like being able to see that. And what it's not a spoiler because it's right on the back of the book. What ends up happening is these two fall in love, but Thane re- uh, leaves the Empire to go join the Rebellion. So now Thane and Cyana are on opposite sides and they're having to fight. And the, it's a star-crossed lover's book. And it is a lover's book. It's a YA book with sex, which, you know, really, really gets my gears oiling. Um, but what, it, what I love about it, listen, it's a fade to black sex scene, but I, I just know Claudia could do it. <laughs> I wish she could. Um, but the thing about Lost Stars is it's a really good intro book because it not only shows how the Empire works, it also shows... Uh, it's it's also against the background of the original trilogy. So it's something that's very familiar to most fans because most fans have seen the original trilogy. And yeah, um, so that's why I like to pitch Lost Stars because it's a really good book to really to go in with something familiar, but also like shifting. And there's a really great like cast of minor characters. Um, one of my favorite characters is an Imperial who is from Alderaan. And that story is one of the most fascinating Star Wars stories that I'm waiting to get picked up again because it's 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 fascinating to watch the mental hoops this person jumps through in the Imperial World War Machine. And yeah, so that is mine. It's Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. What do you think? It sounds interesting. It's young adult. It is a YA novel, but it's it's probably one of the most uh, PG-13 YA novels you could find. I think there's two it's sex so- scenes. I know they're for sure one fade to black, but there's there might be two. Mm. Um. Yeah, that's what I that's the sounds I make when I read it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just realized <laughs> hasn't met Yoda. Fade to black. This is our third podcaster, Colton. This is Yoda. Fade to black means Yoda can use his Yoda's imagination. <laughs> and that's why we turn off the lights. <laughs> Hi, Yoda. Yoda likes imagination. Bottle? There is a spray bottle, Colton, but you won't need it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you do get a, d- an honorary spray bottle in case Yoda's too much, and you can just go... <laughs> so. Yoda's only too much if you're a coward. <laughs> I forgot that Yoda's one of your favorite people, Charles. He he is. He's delightful. He's interesting. He's fun. He never makes life dull. Yoda, get out of Charles's lap. Come here. <laughs> Come here. Mm, friendly to Yoda. Mm, for once. Mm, no spray from Charles. Mm. Well, somebody has to appreciate you, Yoda. I mean, why can't guests be more like Charles and Mom? Mm. It's just a different kind of spray. Mom. Where's Mom? 
We don't, we don't need to talk about spray on, on this podcast. Anyway. Okay, so my next book. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Uh, so, uh, thoughts on Lost Stars? Um, possibly interesting? Is it possibly? Yes. Yes, yes. I'll keep my... Uh, it, it, once spring comes, I'll be in Garage Sale World and Star Wars books are... Just, Star Wars fiction books are everywhere. I usually don't pick them up, but now that I th- that I'll have a little list with me, I, I I I I will probably be looking for that one. So I'm actually going to was... let Charles go next because one two three one two three. Okay, so yeah, we're back even again. So Charles, you can take us into our next one then. I I will go into the next one. So I have brought one canon novel and two legends novels uh, that I think would make and and luckily, Chris, uh, I picked things that I think are good. I almost put oh, some things good. on this list that I think are bad, but funny. But all three books that I'm going to pitch are books that I genuinely think are very, very good and very well written. And the canon novel I brought is called Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade is written by a woman named Delilah S. Dawson. Delilah S. Dawson has written a couple of Star Wars things. Namely, she wrote Phasma. She wrote Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Black Spire. And she wrote this one, Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. And what Delilah S. Dawson does really, really well is that she takes what should be a tie-in novel. All these books have to do is tie into something else. She makes them these deep character explorations. That's where her strength lies. She lies it's as a character writer. And one of the reasons that I brought this one is you were talking earlier about it, famously, the medium is the message. You were talking about how yeah. certain things work better in different mediums. What makes Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade work so interestingly as a book is it because of its the who it's about and what it's about. It can only exist as a book because the novel is specifically a character study. It's a character study of a Jedi who falls to the dark side and becomes an Inquisitor. And much of the novel is concerned with how is a person radicalized? How is religious trauma weaponized? How does this all work? And so we get to explore the thought process of this character and her interactions and how they change. It's a really interesting look inside this character's head that I just don't think we could get outside of a book. It's also standalone, kind of. Uh, all of these novels you can read, all three that I've brought, you can read in isolation. You do not have to read anything else. However, you did also say you like comics. I do. And have you read Charles Soule's Darth Vader run? We have talked I, about it on multiple I read occasions. the first year of it. Yes, I had, the, I, I read, I read no. the, oh no, I, you no, know, no, I you don't read, think. You, you read Gillian's run. You did not read Soul. Yes, yeah, I read, so yeah, no, I did not read the Charles Soule. Soul. We actually talked about, sorry, I don't take the cheese out of my mouth. Um, I'm now holding a wet cheese. <laughs> we talked about t- doing the Charles Soul run during the strikes, and it's just something we never got around to. But we it did do thing. it. No, we did. We were talking about J guys. We're talking yeah. about doing it. Yeah, Gold Squadron, we actually did do it. <laughs> That's Shut what up. we ended up doing. Well, good for you. Do you want my wet cheese? I do not want your wet cheese it. It's delicious. No, it's I, I would like a dry cheese it, but not a wet one. <laughs> no, but like it was something we were talking about doing. So, 
the the thing is Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. I say it works. It hand it goes hand in hand with one of the arcs, two of the arcs from that Darth Vader comic. So if you read Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade and you're like, damn, I want to know more <laughs> about this particular character, this novel will do that for you, but it also stands alone on its own. You can read the novel and then read Darth Vader, which is what Bradley did. Part of the whole reason we did Darth Vader was because he read this novel and went, I desperately need to know, like, more about this particular arc because this character turns up in Darth Vader. She actually originated in Darth Vader. And so I think it's a really, it's one that stands a cut above tie-in Star Wars novels, just in terms of how Delilah S. Dawson handles this character and the mentality. And also just the character is such a shitty person, kind of, but she's also very tragic. I don't want to talk too much. I've done literally two whole podcast episodes about this book. Uh, also, as a queer person with religious trauma, this book hurt me in very specific ways. <laughs> That is my pitch for Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blood by Delilah S. Dawson. I mean, is it really Star Wars almost all religious trauma? <laughs> yeah, but this one's like religious trauma. Like <laughs> this one, do you how do you feel about the Jedi Order, Chris? Uh, not the biggest fan, actually, Great. as far Neither as Neither is the main character of this book. Like I, I, I like that there were movies about him, but yeah, the Jedi Order was uh was pretty pretty garbage by by the time by the time you know episode one rolls around. <laughs> it's really and, interesting and, and till the till the end. <laughs> it's really interesting for me how this book explores the failings of the Jedi Order without just making a blanket the Jedi were bad statement. Like it's more nuanced yeah. and complicated than that. Like institutions People sitting yeah. at the head of institutions are not sitting there going, how can we be the worst? It's systemic institutional failures. And what Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade does really well is it explores those deep institutional failures in the Jedi Order at a ground level in a way that really no other character I've seen in Star Wars, except maybe sifo in Dooku Jedi Lost, is failed to the extent that the main character of Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade is fucking failed by the Jedi Order. Yeah, we That's got a little bit of that with Ahsoka and um, what was her name? Barris. Barris. Yeah. But it was just it was just broad strokes for for you know in the TV show and Anakin. <laughs> wow. So. Any other thoughts about that, Chris? No, that one sounds good. So far, they all, I'm writing them all down, and I'm probably going to seek out all of these in used bookstores and and garage sales in the future. Colton, would you like to go next? Uh, certainly. Also, this is not uh, a, a commercial. You're not paid sponsors. But thriftbooks.com, it's so good very good yes it is um i end up getting a lot of their books through ebay like like they also sell on ebay and so you can oh, get really? books for even cheaper they're, they're they're always cheap they're always in great condition 
yeah. They never put a picture of the book on eBay. But when I see that it's when I see that it's them, I've I've had I've gotten so many good deals from them that it's it's unbelievable. Like if you if you I was informed have... that bookfinder.com is also or bookfinder, I guess, is also apparently one that somebody used. I tend to use my local library and shout out to local libraries. Get a library yes. card if you don't have one already. Love libraries. Uh, especially with the advent of digital books uh, with Hoopla, Overdrive, and you can download the Libby app and connect your library cards. Uh, libraries rule and you should be getting a library card. Hard agree. Um, but also, libraries do, books. also, libraries yeah. has other functions other than books, and they are really great um, central pieces to your community, and they can help with everything from like job applications, res checking resumes, and more. So even if you never use your library card, you should go get one anyway because it will help your local community. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Now half my half my friends here in Rochester are librarians, so like yeah, so. I yeah, li libraries are the one of the great like I I I my childhood was half lived in a library and it was it was wonderful and you know libra librarians are awesome people <laughs> for ninety I've only run into one bad librarian and that was my middle school librarian in my entire life and she wasn't even that horrible. <laughs> She was just misguidedly looking out for me, but <laughs> but yeah, libra librarians have been yeah a key to to a lot of my life. So, Colton, hit me with your next one. Hit me with your best shot. That's yes. the song of the episode, Chris. There you go. Now they have to listen to all the way up to that point to know why hit me with your best shot is the song of the episode. Okay. <laughs> um, my next one is Star Wars Dark Disciple. Hell um, yeah, dude! Yes. That was Fuck another one that was on my that was on my shelf. I had a copy of I had a copy of that in hardcover on my shelf. Dude, I fucking love Dark Disciple. Um, Never read so it. Dark Disciple follows Asajj Ventress and uh, Quinlan Voss as they do some Definitely not sanctioned by the Jedi Order, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, sorts of things. It also fades to black. Yes. Oh, I mean, I was just talking about assassination, but they also do that, yes. Um. <laughs> wow, that's just the very two different people we are. <laughs> um, it's very angsty. It has uh, a very, uh, very... Um, brilliant look at the force and like um how the force changes uh users of the force um it also uh is just so angsty and i love it and um dooku has a wonderful speech that i hate with a deep deep passion because like he's saying oh Hold on, let me get my Christopher Lee impression. I, no, I would I actually a, recommend. I let me let me jump in here. I yeah. might actually recommend, unless Chris really wants to hear it, not spoiling this speech because it's genuinely one of the most out of left fields. I cannot believe I never thought of that, but obviously, moments you know that I've ever read in a Star in a 
In a Clone Wars story generally, it's one of the most interesting takes on the Clone Wars in this speech that Dooku makes. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so no, you just have to read and find out. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. good. That's good. You got also, me curious now. <laughs> also, uh, I will mention too, uh, just throwing this out there, because I know Chris asked us to bring up authors. I'm actually really familiar with the author of this book. This book was adapted from eight, eight unused episodes of The Clone Wars written by I was by waiting Peter to say Lucas. that, yeah. And it is adapted by a woman named Christy Golden. Christy Golden is a fucking fantastic IP writer. I know her best for all of her work fixing the Warcraft universe, making Sylvanas Windrunner and Jaina Proudmoore not be badly written. Uh, but she's also written a ton of Star Wars. So she knows exactly what she's doing. She wrote books for Fate of the Jedi. She was working on a Sword of the Jedi book, I think, uh, before the acquisition. But she's like a major IP writer. Actually, I think she might. This is the thing Charles didn't research. We always have two segments on Gold Squadron. We have the thing Charles fucked up and the thing Charles didn't research. It wasn't your book to research, though. <laughs> uh yeah, and I just want to read it. She's written tie-in novels for Assassin's Creed, StarCraft. She's written Star Trek. She's written a ton of Star Trek, actually. She's written Star Trek Next Generation, book, um, Next Generation book. She's written some Voyager stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's who this is that wrote this book. And I just love her so much as a writer, I had to jump in and be like, she's so good. Yeah, Listen. The, the prose is gorgeous as well i'm very sad though i don't get to hear a christopher lee impression can you just like read like say something to me as christopher lee colton no please <laughs> i lost it oh wait oh. hold on um okay so completely out of left field everyone should go on Tubi as soon as you finish this episode and watch horror express uh, oh is, my god yes i've covered that book for a pot or that movie for a podcast wonderful it's movie so good it has christopher lee and peter cushing's on a yeah. train in siberia with like weird alien zombies and there's a scene where christopher lee sits down and says hold on i need to we did an autopsy no that's 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 just, uh, oh God, what's his name? Anyway, he says, we did an autopsy and her brain was completely smooth. And then like a sting of music plays and it's just the funniest goddamn shit ever. Yes, yeah, that was, th th this was, th this was a movie about back in the day when they thought they could look at somebody's eye and see the last thing in it too. There was some element... Uh, but the um, I work on audio dramas with this one guy, and we 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 have a podcast where we do grindhouse and horror movies, and we did that one, and we've been talking about doing an audio drama sequel to that that movie because the monster actually escapes at the end, and turns out as hope likes he's the monster is killing hot? people, but has huh? You he's you hot? like the when, when the bad guys end up having like at the end it was like you know this monster's kind of i kind of sympathize with it <laughs> oh yeah yeah I also and like uh, monsters are hot. and so there's 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 a whole it's just this it's a, it's basically it turns out to be an alien who's trying to just sort of you know 
build a spaceship to get off of Earth. And uh. it's left. Yeah. And uh, he escapes at the end. So there's there's total possibility for a sequel to that movie. Yeah, that is a that is a great movie that has some of the greatest like shots of a uh, toy train that lo- actually looks like a real train. And it, I'm watching it going, wow, this is a really nice shot of a train. I Maybe that that's a model. <laughs> I told you Chris and Colton were similar. <laughs> I believed you, but now I'm seeing this in person. <laughs> I swear, when when you guys were talking, Charles, on your show about like the back, what the, what the hell is the outbound flight? The uh, generation ship? Generation ships. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when Colton was going off about that, all I could hear was Chris telling me about that. Chris, what's the guy who made the monster manual in Gravity Falls that you said that was inspiration for Ford? Charles Chan- Chandler, Charles Ch- Ch- Forge. Oh my God. Anyway, it, I was just like, these are the same people. <laughs> 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 what is the name of that book? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Also, I want to add to Dark Disciple that Quinlan, Quinlan Voss is a really interesting character as well in this. And I think he, I actually just wrote about Lo- out <laughs> Dark Disciple earlier this week. Um, and. He's one of the characters and the biggest questions from Clone Wars that is just like begging for more stories because we know he survived Order 66. We know he fell to the dark side, except for he has the best, dumbest Star Wars name that because becomes uh, uh, he as he falls to the dark side, he takes on the name Admiral Enigma, which is the best, stupidest name ever. (laughs) And right. It's so dumb. I love it. Like that is like perfect. I love the name. Um, but he's just very fascinating because it shows someone who is essentially in kind of Anakin's position, but sped up. But also what happens if Anakin came back? And that's why I find Quinlan's story in Dark Disciple very interesting to me. Um, also, it also is a night. Nice, it, it explores uh, the final time and the desperation of the Jedi Order in the final days of the Clone Wars. Which is like, this war has been going on too long, and people do not like us anymore. Oh no. (laughs) And there is a real palpable desperation over the Orders in those final days of the Clone Wars. And I find that really interesting about Dark Disciple as well. Also, hot romance. Two hot people making hot choices, and with hot lips, and like hot, like, like there's a going on, and I'm just like, yes, sir. Dark Disciple. <laughs> Anything else, Colton? Uh, <laughs> no, I think y'all covered it. Yeah. I have also done a podcast episode on Dark Disciple. I'm on the First Steps of Star Wars podcast episode covering that book, uh, which is why I have not been contributing to this, because I have already said everything I need to say about the novel Dark Disciple. Anyway, I think it's my turn now. Chris, any thoughts about Dark? It's your turn now. It sounds really good. That period, that period of time when the the end period of the Jedi Order is very, just an interesting, interesting and charged with dramatic potential. And like you know, the end of the end of um um. Uh, Revenge of the Sith captured it pretty well, and um, the um, the last season of Clone Wars 
covered it really well and to the point of where like what you were saying that palpable feeling of yeah this this isn't gonna hold up much longer and this is way out of the control of the jedi and things are slipping downhill real quick you know that 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 is just a great dramatic um engine you know for things and and if you capture the yeah I, i'm very curious it yeah and um the other thing i wanted to say is that quinlan is very interesting and we he, we know he survived order 66 so he's running around like in the obi-wan Ken- kenobi show when kenobi's in that back room looking at, at the path and all the names carved yeah. on the wall and stuff like that he says quinlan he was here and it's that hope that he gave Obi-Wan to fight back, knowing that Quinlan survived. So, like, we know this character who went on an Anakin Skywalker dive to the dark side and came back, survived Order 66, and we don't know where the fuck he is. And I need to know where he is. So. All right. Hey, Chris. Hey, All right. Chris. I'm ready. Hey, Chris. Hi, Hope. Do you like Andor? I do. How much do you like Andor? A little bit. I like it a little bit. But what are some of the stuff you like about it? Do you like the politics of Andor? I do. Do you like the grittiness of like moral, morally gray choices Andor? I do. Do you like the parts of Andor where it's just like, wow, this guy in another situation would be a villain, but here he's a hero Andor? Yes. And you like like the really like deep like politics of like wow everything kind of sucks and I don't trust anybody in my Senate side of Andor. Yes, even though I'm living that in my real life now. Well, oh boy, do I have the books for you? And I did say books plural. I'm going to take a really risky move though. You ready, Chris? Okay. I've only I've not read one of these books and I've only started the other one, so I'm gonna. <laughs> heavily rely on Charles for one of these books, but I've written about these books enough that I know the plots. (laughs) And I think that these would be up your alley. First and foremost is Bloodline by Claudia Gray. Hey, Claudia Gray is back. And this takes place uh, between Return of the Jedi and the sequel trilogy. That was on my bookshelf too. And it is dealing with the fallout of Leia, of of people finding out that Darth Vader was Leia's dad. Mom. I was I was I was actually handed that book at a promotional version of that book at a convention. So I I chose two and one is Bloodlines and the other one is the Alphabet Squadron Trilogy. And I'll come back to that one in a second because I've actually read a good chunk of that one. Um, Bloodline is like the Mon Mothma side of the story. Um, and it is dealing with the the uh, First Order sympathizers essentially infiltrating the senate and leia is like what the fuck is happening but also she's losing credibility because it comes out that darth vader is her father so it's it's kind of like the mon mothma side of the andor story but set in the sequel trilogy but with leia charles well, anything you know to that's add? that's yeah. stuff rhymes so yeah i i mean there there are there are it's not so much first order sympathizers that are infiltrating so much as it's it's showing how the new republic government was kind of set up to fail and also kind of showing how um some people like generationally were primed uh i'm 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 gonna describe the best way i can describe the book is to describe a specific scene from the book 
And uh, it's not really a spoiler, but it, it's the vibe that this book is going for. Leia goes to a meeting with her main political rival in the Senate. There's basically they've set up this two party system that has happened. Populist and centrist. These words do not mean the same thing. Uh, but Leia is a populist. And so she goes in to meet with the centrist senator. And it's this young guy. He was very, very young when the rebellion happened. And she goes into his office and he has imperial memorabilia on the walls. And she freaks the fuck out. She's like, what the fuck is that? And he's like, no, 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 I'm not an imperial sympathizer. I just like collecting their stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've heard that one before. <laughs> and he really genuinely thinks, like, that there's nothing wrong with this. And she's like, no, I fought against these people. Like, this is this is the face of the enemy. These people tortured me. <laughs> these people literally tortured me. It's... It's sort of a political thriller kind of story, uh, but it really is concerned. Again, it's one of those books rather like what Delilah Dawson does, but Claudia Gray also does this very well. She does this in Master and Apprentice, where she takes something that's just a tie-in to something else or to explain something in another piece of media and makes it fucking amazing because she nails in the character. This one is about the character of Leia and how she eventually becomes disillusioned with the New Republic government and we get the setup that we get into in The Force Awakens. It pretty much just explains why she is the way she is in the sequel trilogy, but it's such an interesting exploration of how the reinstitution of the same system will ultimately lead to the same exploitation of that yep. system. It's, it's really fascinating I genuinely cannot believe that it takes some of the swings that it took with this view of politics in the Star Wars universe. It's fucking amazing. It, and then the follow-up I wanted to say is uh, Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed, which is almost like the Cassian side of the, the Andor story. So if Bloodlines is the Mon Mothma, this is the Cassian side. And this follows, um, is also set in the same time period, and Harris and Dula puts together a team of elite pilots to go hunt down this uh, rogue uh, imperial group that's still causing a lot of terror. But the main character is a woman named Erica, and Erica um, defected from the Empire but she defected too late. See, because when Alderaan blew up, a lot of Imperials were like, fuck, no, I'm out. I did not sign up for this. But she didn't sign defect until way later. So most people see her as like more of an extremist when she was just really not. So uh, she gets put in charge of this resistance group and they don't trust her. They don't like her. And to put frankly, one of my favorite parts about Erica is she's actually quite unlikable. She's not a very likable character, and I like that about her. Um, and it's about her and this team. They're called the Alphabet Squadron because they fly an X-Wing, a B-Wing, a U-Wing, an A-Wing, and a Y-Wing. And so they're the Alphabet Squadron. And it's they all have different traumas that they're bringing to this. And it all comes in down to, like, gray moralities of who's going to do what when the time comes and who is willing to cross the line to stop this threat for good 
Um, I've yet to finish Alphabet Squadron because, Chris, you know that feeling when we were watching Andor and we we're like, this is really good, but we have to take a break because it's really dense. Yes. This is Alphabet Squadron. Like, it, it's a really dense book. It is every page has so much goodness in it, but it's like 20 goodness on every page. Like, I, I will read a little bit of Alphabet Squadron and then put it down for like three months because it's so dense. Um, but it really is like the gritty, real, morally gray side of Andor. So if Bloodlines is the Mon Mothma side, Alphabet Squadron is like the Cassian Andor side. And together you have Andor the sequel trilogy. Huzzah! Well, I'm I'm I I like character I I don't need my characters to be likable. I, I mean it's good to have likable characters in there. But they're not as interesting. Like I don't need a character to be completely. I'm actually. I'm looking at the first. The first book I got replaced of my book was Confederacy of Dunces, which the main character in that is one of the most obnoxious, just like <laughs> unpleasant people ever, and and is so for the whole book, <laughs> and is one of the most you know entertaining and and readable books I've ever read. So. I I I don't mind if a character's little little salty around the edges, you know, little she little spiky. Er- Erica is very salty. Yeah, she, and, the, the book and, opens, and 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 I mean that's why you read books. That's why you you don't read books to just like everybody. You know, you got to read stuff about stuff that you don't like. <laughs> and it and it opens just to like to show why she, like a big reason why she's salty, but it's understandable at the same time, but also not. Uh, the book opens with her in a, a Republic internment camp, like how we put Japanese folks in camps during right. World War II. That's where it opens, and she's there. And she's like, wow, it's cold, and we don't have enough food. And these are the good guys. <laughs> and, yeah, that's where the book opens. And it is really gritty and wonderful. Uh, I just need to finish it, but it's so goddamn dense. So, yeah. Hey, Colton. Yeah. Want to do your next one? Uh, did we did did we skip over me? Am I not next? Does it not go me, Colton, and Hope? I don't know. I've lost track. Sure. Hey, Charles. I'm pretty sure because uh, what I have two left, you have two left, and Colton has two left. Okay. Yes. So. Sure. Pull up my one single note well, that I wrote about this book. We all have like two left. I guess it doesn't matter if it's your favorite book in the world ever. Well, I'm writing them all down, and it does say it does say that uh, Charles is next. Okay, I have also structured mine from book that I I least recommend of the three, which is to say I super recommend it, up to the one I most recommend to Chris specifically of the three. That's going to be the last one that I pitch. So there are a couple of pieces of media in my life. Like, I like a lot of media. I've consumed a lot of media. I'm a voracious reader. I've watched a lot of movies. I've watched a lot of TV. There are a few pieces of media that I can say genuinely were so good, they not only, like, made an impression on me, but functionally rewired the way my brain thinks. And these are things like the Lord of the Rings movies or the monster anime or How to Get Away with Murder's first season, the TV show. One of these is the adaptation of the 2005 film Star Wars Revenge of the Sith by Matthew Stover. I've heard that. I 
I have heard this before. Yes, that was Probably also from me. But also from everybody, because Matthew Stover was basically you, again, it's so funny. No, that I remember when it earlier. came out, my friends were like, this is actually a very well written book. Well, so what happened was Matthew Stover, I think, had the same criticisms of adaptation books that Chris had earlier in this episode where he's like, yeah, it just feels like they got people and they phoned it in. And Matthew Stover is basically like, well, this is the last one. We might as well just go whole hog with it. Chris. Every single line from this book is fucking gold. This man put his whole right because he he said he talked about this in the panel that I was in. He was like, well, if Star Wars is a mythology, then the writing should accurately reflect the mythological scope and scale of the story. Yes. It should not be written like a dry history text. It should be written like a mythological bombshell. This man pulled it off. Every fucking moment from this book is incredible. Is it is it over the top prosy? Yes, but it works here. Every single digress. He was like, I did not cut myself back at all. If I was going to write something, I fucking wrote it. Everything. I know the, the, the pitch for the other two is going to be the content of the books. The pitch for Revenge of the Sith is me saying when I did our episode on Revenge of the Sith with Andy from the Force Friends Rewatch podcast, it was just us giving it a tongue bath for an hour. Like, the only criticisms I have of this book are criticisms that I also have of the movie. Uh-huh, okay. Like, this book, just the sheer quality of writing in this book, I don't know how this man wrote one of the worst Magic the Gathering books, because he's clearly a good writer, because he made Revenge of the Sith so fucking incredible. Like, the movie's ruined. The movie is ruined for me for the rest of my life. Because I can't not think of the book. <laughs> because it's so well written. Read, read this book. This is a plea not only to Chris, but to everyone. If you have not read this book, believe the hype. Believe everything everyone is saying you about how fucking well written this book is. Then go read the short story Brotherhood by Mike Chen in the From a Certain Point of View Return of the Jedi anthology. Reading those two back to back made me cry over Anakin Skywalker. I have never cried about Anakin Skywalker in my life. I have never felt a thing for this man beyond, aw, you made your own bed, you dumb motherfucker. Sobbing, sobbing, crying. Walked into my boyfriend's room and was like, I need you to put your eyeballs on this. So from now on, for the rest of my life, you have visual confirmation that reading Revenge of the Sith by Matthew Stover and then following it up with Brotherhood, the short story, not the novel, by Mike Chen, made me weep openly over Anakin goddamn fucking Skywalker. That's how good this book is. Well, I think, like, Revenge of the Sith, when when I actually saw that in the movie theater, um, it it sold me on, like... Like I, I felt the slide of Anakin and was rooting for him 
at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, maybe he could get out of this knowing in the, you know, knowing that where it's going. And I was like, that's very successful. So if the book is like shading this on a deeper level, it's it sounds honest. Honestly, this is the one that this is probably the first one of this list right now that I will I'll probably read. It's probably the first one I'll run across in the wild, too. You know, oh, yeah. it's it's all over the place. It's widely and, regarded as not only like it's rightly regarded as one of the best Star Wars books of all time correctly. I hold it up as maybe one of the best pieces of genre fiction I have ever read in my entire Ooh, life. wow. Wow. It's, <laughs> it's, okay. The way that he he structured this, the way that he wrote this, the way that he he also like incorporates what's really cool is it like he also clearly really liked what the Clone Wars multimedia project was doing. So like he incorporated, this was obviously pre the TV show, but they incorporate mentions of the Gendy Tartakovsky series. They incorporate mentions of the comics. He literally wrote one of the other novels. Matthew Stover wrote Shatterpoint, the Mace Windu novel. So a lot of the Mace Windu stuff is kind of calling back to his own stuff. Like it feels this book feels tangibly like it's part of a broader universe, but it's also this incredible adaptation of this piece of film. And Stover also understands, rather like Dawson, Stover also understands that a book is a medium where you can most accurately convey a character's thought process. Yeah. And he uses this to incredible effect with the character of Anakin Skywalker. My one critique is he doesn't really do the Padme sections very well or at least not as well as I think they could be handled. But it's 2005, he's a male writer, and they're still really well-written. He gives her a lot of humanity in this book that I think other certain writers who were writing at that time would not have given her. But it's, this, this, book, this book rewired my brain. This book changed my life. This book showed me what Star Wars as a storytelling device outside of just the films can be. This, this sounds like to me, um, and it's actually a George Lucas connection is uh, if you can find it, it's a hard one to find. There's a novelization of George Lucas's first movie, THX 1138. And they hired Ben Bova, one of the classic science fiction writers to to write it and it feels it feels like they based the movie on the book you know it feels like a book that came before the movie and then somebody made a movie made a movie adaptation of it george lucas both read and liked and approved of this book fun fact about the thx book uh i read it before i knew it was even a movie oh yeah. So okay. I genuinely did think when the movie, when I saw the movie, that it was. And it would um, seem like that because Ben Bova is yeah. like an established writer. So usually not who you would hire for a, a book adaptation. Especially right out of the gate like that. But yeah, it that, that book and, you know, that book made like the movie. I like the movie, but after reading the book. You know, it fills in a lot of more of what's going on that the movie tells in more like abstract ways of like what is actually how everything's working in it. It was just really well, really well written. That's also one of the few books that I've replaced 
so far for my bookshelf. Yeah, this this book is just like ordinarily I wouldn't just come in and be like, this book is one of the most amazing pieces of media I've ever consumed in my entire life, genuinely changed my life and rewrote the entire way that I think about media, because I know that sets this really high bar. But I also know that literally everyone else who has read this book has the same thought about it. So I'm confident in in, in having that be my pitch is just this book is good and you should read it. That's the best pitch for any book anyway. This book is good and you should read it. Yeah. So you're saying I should go into reading it for the first time with a closed mind looking for criticisms? Yes, uh, exactly. That is exactly how you should consume every piece of media, especially Star Wars and especially Star Wars movies. If you come into movies with preconceived notions of what you think it should be, that's the best way to consume a piece of media. Oh, but Charles, I just remembered something. I can't like Star Wars. I'm a lady. Oh, yeah, that, that is kind God. of a problem for you. Mm, Ladies yeah. don't like Star Wars. That's why you got to drag your... That's why... Proof is people have to drag their wife to see Star Wars. I'm sorry, I'm referencing Facebook. Yeah, I've actually had a somebody on my Facebook <laughs> feed griping about, you know, griping about the newest director. And I how, said this on on Gold Squadron. How, and how can you cut out me. half of your viewing base like this? Women don't like Star Wars, and I'm like, I had to pop in and be like. I don't know. I'm on episode 376 of a podcast with a woman. <laughs> she might think otherwise, you know. I'm pretty sure this is the kind of person who also doesn't believe that women can have a penis and men can have a vagina. I said on Gold Squadron, and I will reiterate here, if if you are a man who is going onto the internet with your whole chest and saying and believing that you have never seen a female Star Wars fan in real life, that's because they don't want to be around you and you're telling on yourself. That says something about your group of friends. If you, have it, if you come in and truthfully, with your whole, whole chest, whole say, chest. I've never seen a woman who likes Star Wars, that's because you're a repulsive asshole. Is is this like uh, a whole chest like Maul earlier tits out with a dicky? Uh, no, because I want to fuck Maul. <laughs> I have never encountered one of these men that I wanted to fuck. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hey, Colton. Yes. What is your next one? All right, so <clears throat> my next one is the... Uh, it's the book that I had to hastily change earlier in the episode. <laughs> it was going to be Death Troopers, is that it what you said? It was going to be Death Troopers. So now, instead, I have Star Wars Red Harvest by Joe Schreiber, uh, which is the prequel to Death Troopers. Um, and if you oh. thought that Death Troopers was an enjoyable uh, romp through a zombie-filled... Uh, uh, area in star wars uh boy do i have a story for you set in the old republic some three thousand years before uh death troopers um it follows a uh several sith students at a sith academy uh 
trying to uh, not only do the Sith things of, you know, backstabbing your fellow uh, student and uh, trying to kill everyone you see, but uh, it also uh, is do, uh, you know, a zombie apocalypse. Uh, and it's really, really fun to watch these just horrible, horrible people uh, in a zombie apocalypse. It's like The Walking Dead, but good, and in Star Wars. <laughs> it's funny um, because when Death Troopers came out at the same time, I had been get, sent a couple of the um, uh, Walking Dead books set in the walking sure. dead and if you want to really read a a, a example of really bad like death like death troopers i was like okay death troopers is way b- you want to read some really bad writing read some of those those uh walking dead novels Oh, oh sure. dear God! This one guy, like he 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 had a handful of words that he thought were really good for a like one of them was sluices. <laughs> okay, and, and it's like and it's like and I'm like in this book and I'm like this is the fifteenth time he's used the word sluice or um, abattoir. Oh God! Abattoir got used like fifteen times in the book and I'm like, okay, this is like. How did this get past an editor? Just terrible. Just terrible. Made Death Troopers look like a a masterpiece. Well, Death Troopers was um, fun. That's yeah. yeah. And it's about Uh, something. And if you want to hear more about that, I do know of a certain podcast that has two of these guests on it called Gold Squadron Gaze. And Charles actually gave a very interesting history of zombie craze around this time and why Death Troopers came out. And about why Joe Schreiber was picked because he is an actual horror writer. It's a really good episode. Just saying. Yeah, it is, and it is written like a horror book. You remember when when we could have fun with it? No, it has to be super serious all the time. (laughs) You remember when they could just do campy horror novels, um, and and we would all have a good. No, the book was actually somewhat controversial when it came out. Nobody has ever ever had fun with star wars i'm so tired yeah we we did we did cover death troopers uh, i don't think we'll probably do an episode on red harvest but i do recommend reading red harvest and yes. that's all i'm going to say about red harvest uh, go on, Colton. another really interesting thing about red harvest as opposed to death troopers is almost every single character is force sensitive um and we get several uh point of view scenes from these force sensitive people getting infected and like communicating with the virus and the virus is acting less as a virus and more like this evil consciousness like a Um, like being demon possessed or something more yeah yeah exactly um and it, it it also has some really interesting things um for our number one Drangir fan uh in in the in the podcast in the call here um there is a is there is the proto Drangir in this book um named uh hold on listen drinkers are just fun time <laughs> 
Um, I, I, oh, they're not in the dramatis personae, but they are um, a massive sentient tree. Hey, it comes with a dramatis personae. Yeah, and that's also something amazing. Um, I think all books should have a dramatis personae. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree. It's, it's that's great. why I added one to something <laughs> I can't talk about yet. It also has uh, an HK droid in it, which automatically makes any book ten times better. Because um, there is not a single HK droid that has ever done anything wrong ever, and I love them all. Um, so yeah, that's that's the that's the book. I was going to disagree with you on the HK point, but then I mentally cycled through all the HK droids that I'm aware of and went, oh, no, no, Colton's right, actually. They're all so perfect. A lot of people. Yeah. So, Chris, what do you think? It it sounds good. This one has another. uh, This was another one that was like. Something about the backs of the books, because like I usually I had I had picked up this one and this one was in my bookshelf, too. I didn't even know it was a sequ- or a prequel to to Death Troopers. But since I've already read Death Troopers, I might as well. Uh, I might as well hit this one up. I'm I'm up to like two, four, six, seven, seven books. And I and not one of them have I been able to come up with a reason to avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are stumping me. Good. I might. I mean, I could have played it up and just been a bastard, and and but they're they're all sounding very. Uh, I I I'm also a sucker for like somebody enthusiastically describing a book to me. <laughs> so, um, my next one actually might be the one that you might not be. I'm gonna preface this: you might not be into this, and that's fine. Because it is a little bit difficult to get into, um, and it's really hard to follow continuously. But it's a challenge. It does. It does. And I'm going to give you "Light of the Jedi" by Charles. Charles Soule. Charles Soule. I was like, I know this off the top of my head. I'm like turning around to look at my bookshelf. (laughs) Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. Yes. Um, And this is the first book of the High Republic. Uh, which is the new initiative that's coming out. Um, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. The upcoming show, The Acolyte, is set in the end of The High Republic and everything like that. What I like about this book, and it's also YA Companion Into the Dark, um, but also by Claudia Gray, because she's my favorite. Um, it, Light of the Jedi is the plot. Into the Dark is the character and the emotions of this era. And that's how I would actually break that down. Um, but Light of the Jedi tackles the Jedi and the Republic in their golden age. This is them at their height. This is them when they are those mythological like creatures. This is like when when Ray and Luke and all of them look back at like 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 the idea of what the Jedi are supposed to be, you know, like this good pure force. This is light of the Jedi. But what's interesting about the High Republic is it shows the realism that breaks them down into the prequel era. This is the beginning of the end. This is what will become the prequel era of the Jedi. And you can even see that like in the early pages. There's a page um, when, when describing the Jedi, um, when they arrive, they arrive in these like pristine ships that are like gold and embellished versus the monks of the prequel era that we know. And so it's fascinating to see where they are at their height 
to where they downfall into by the time we get to Clone Wars and all that. Um, and same thing with the Republic. Like this is the Republic at its height, and like it's expanding and it's beautiful. But the villains of this of this group, which are a group of pirates and raiders called Nihil, they see the Republic coming into the Outer Rim as the Republic's trying to expand, and they're going, "We're being invaded." And so a lot of everyday normal people sympathize with them, where they're just like, "We don't want the Republic." on our planet like we don't want them this is an invasion and so there's this clashing of ideas where the republic is just like yes we're going to bring you knowledge and fun and gentrification and it's going to be great and here's our starlight beacon and it's beautiful and people it's just like uh we don't want you here why are you here i don't really like want our jedi here too like what's going on and the big old bad villain who is fine uh <laughs> He's a really good villain. I just don't personally like him at, personally. But he's a really well-written villain. I have to at least respect that. Which is saying something, because I love villains. I do love villains. Yes, you do. Um, I do we love know. villains. So I do. So I do have to admit that he's a well-written villain. He's essentially taking hold of this, like, this idea of, like, we're essentially being invaded. So I have a right to fight back against the Republic and the Jedi who are essentially invading our space. So, But only more crazy. And he finds a weapon that can specifically attack Jedi. So that that's what this is. It's supposed to, it was based on like the idea of the Arthurian, Arthurian legends, but for the Jedi. And so it is their, their height. And everything after this point, starting with Light of the Jedi, is downhill. Um, and so it is, it is a little bit of a tough book to get into, I will say, because there's a lot of jumping around points. The first third is a tragedy. And this tragedy is um, uh, very brutal. <laughs> like, there's a lot of death in the first third of the book before it kind of takes a breather in the middle section. Um, to just know going into it, you might need to be in the right headspace because it is a brutal book and it throws a lot of characters at you and you don't know which characters are going to stick to the wall and make it out of the first third. But once you get out of the thir that first third, I think it's does a really good job of building up like what the mythos of the Jedi are supposed to be versus the reality that we know them to be. And I find that very interesting about Light of the Jedi. Chris, how do you feel about disaster movies? That's a very valid question too. I do like, I, I like disaster movies to, to some extent. Not necessarily, you know, I'm not going to be a Roland Emmerich fan or anything like that, but I like, I like seeing stuff get smashed up on screen. This is very much a disaster movie. The the Light of the Jedi is very much a disaster movie. Into it the Dark be, is yeah. sci-fi horror. Uh, but like, not like horror horror, but like... So why a sci-fi horror? horror. Uh, one thing I will, I will tack on, if, if you are going to make an honest-to-God attempt, I, I know this is sacrilege for me to say, because... I generally don't do this, but I, I, you know, Bradley does, and Bradley made it through Light of the Jedi. This one I do strongly recommend the audiobook. Not only because oh. Mark Thompson is such an excellent reader, mm -hmm. and he does a really good job making it easy to follow because he, he uses so many excellent voices for the characters, but I think the music and the sound effects add a lot to this particular. High Republic, in my opinion, is at its best when it's an audio drama, not an audio, not a, a book. Which I like the books. I'm obsessed with the books. I have spreadsheets, plural, about the books. But I will tack on that if you're going to try to tackle Light of the Jedi, 
you may want to consider giving the audiobook for this one a try. I would second that, yeah. Um, this one, I have literally consumed zero Old Republic stuff of this any This is a different from... thing. This is a very different thing. Yeah, um, the Old Republic is um, all legends. The High Republic is all canon. They are two. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, like, seeing as how there's... I haven't, I haven't consumed any High Republic either, but, like, seeing as how there's going to be a TV show... You know, I I I might want to like, and and the premise sounds interesting. I, I I will say I this will is say, probably like the 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 least like tempting appealing book that I you figured. guys are dangling in front of me, but it sounds very interesting. Yeah, I I mean I I figured that would be it. Um, and the thing about the acolyte TV show, um, the light light of the Jedi is the beginning. Of the High Republic era, uh, the Acolyte TV show is the end. It is like the like you know, Dooku is like five seconds from being a baby boy born into the world. End of the High okay. Republic era. Now so, I will I will clarify quickly for the listeners that end of the High Republic era means the end of that period of history, not the finale of the publishing initiative. The finale yeah. of the publishing initiative is Temptation of the Force, not Temptation of the Force. Uh, Trials of the Jedi, by, also by Charles Soule. So you don't need to have to read this to understand the Acolyte. I've been getting a lot of questions about that lately. So mm. for the record here, it, it's it's the end of that time period, not the end of that story. All right, Charles, hit me with your last one. Uh, so the last book I brought is the one that I, I personally, knowing having listened to Chris on the podcast, recommend the most to Chris. And that I'm is the this- novel... Death Star from Legends. Death Star is a self-contained novel about the Death Star. And this novel basically exists because in Legends there was a period where they were just kind of throwing things at the wall with regards to the Death Star. Like there's multiple versions of the Death Star plans running around. And this book kind of existed to fix all of that. It kind of existed to tie it all together. They took a bunch of different things that had happened in the construction of the first Death Star, and they made a novel about it. But what they chose to do that was really interesting with it is they chose to do this, like, there's no real protagonist of the novel. It's a group of about 10 different characters. Yes, one of whom is a droid. So there you go, Colton. It's about 10 different characters at various levels of dealing with this project. So there's a character who becomes a bartender on the station. There's a character who's a convicted criminal on the planet which they're uh, building the Death Star around. The planet is literally called Despair, uh, which is fucking amazing. Uh, There's a a TIE (laughs) fighter pilot that's one of the characters. Uh, One of the characters is an archivist. The the two authors of the book, Michael Reeves and Steve Perry, previously wrote, they had written a, a duology called MedStar, which was about a medical frigate in the Clone Wars, which was very well received. And actually, this book is a continuation of that in one of the characters. Beresafi gets brought up a lot in this book, uh, just in terms of one of the characters. But it's sort of this story about these lives being intertwined through the construction of the Death Star. And also we get some really interesting Imperial side of things. So a lot of this book is in Tarkin's head. Tarkin's a major character in this book. 
uh, as well as Vader. Vader is quite a big presence in this book, and it follows much of the construction of the Death Star up through uh, the destruction of the Death Star. Uh, spoilers for Star Wars A New Hope, a movie from 1977, but the Death Star does get destroyed at the end. It's really I know, shocking. If you liked Rogue One, if you liked Andor, if you are familiar with the novel Catalyst, um, this this is sort of the precursor to that. It's straddling the edge of what canon writing would eventually become and tying up some of the stuff from Legends. And the way they do it, like, it's not necessarily, when they're referencing things from Legends, they're not things you're expected to know. The book will tell you basically everything you need to know about it. Uh, but it's this incredible weaving together of these very human, very personal stories uh, from the lowest levels of imperial society to the Grand Moth overseeing the construction of the station and how the Death Star in and of itself is the main character of the book in that so much of the book is affected by and revolving around the journey of this battle station and its completion and its deployment. I fucking love this book. It's so good. Uh, it's it, also self-contained is another thing. Just a sidebar. It would have been really interesting if they read, wrote the book as if it was a nonfiction book, like if it was like, you know, written by a historian, sort of like World War Z and like, you know, based on interviews of all these people that you're talking about and just like, you know, like, like the, like a book of any kind of major project that has all sorts of things going, you could have almost, it would have been really interesting to write it as, you know, some, somebody who's a Death Star historian, giving you all the politics and, and behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, what's interesting about this one is how they really get into the heads of how being in the Death Star affects people. And also being in this Imperial system affects people. Uh-huh. Which is a really, really interesting... It's it's a look, too, at kind of how the Empire is written in Legends. Because how the Empire is written and how Imperials are written in Legends is very different than canon. Uh, there's... It's a little more, I don't want to say nuanced, but it's a little more, it's it's kinder to people in this system while recognizing that the system itself is bad. We're kind of moving away from sort of the 2000s writing during the Iraq War and how sort of there was some weird politics stuff going on with how the Empire was written. But it's moving into this much more nuanced view of what is it like to be a human person with human goals and human desires and human failings inside a system like such a contained space that is the Death Star. So it's really neat. Also, one of the guys, Michael Reeves, who co-wrote this book, wrote two episodes of the Ewoks TV show and one episode of the Droids TV show. Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. He also wrote a novel called The Last Jedi, which is unrelated to the movie. I had a copy of that too. Yeah, same because I was like, I gotta grab the book that's not the. <laughs> this book, when you when you go through it, Ryan, uh, who was also from Force Friends Rewatch and was my guest on the Death Star episode, brought up an excellent point too with how the book is written. Is it's it's so it's such a long novel, but it's so easily 
consumed because of the lack of a clear protagonist that it's this ensemble cast uh-huh. you're getting essentially episodic chapters to where you can read a chapter and put the book down because the next one's going to pick up with another character so if it's something that like you read in between breaks at work to where you have 10 minutes so you pick up a cha- this is how i reread it you have 10 minutes you pick up a chapter and you read about uh, the woman in her cantina, and then you put the book down, you go to work, and then you pick up the next chapter, and the next chapter may be about the archivist working on the Death Star. So it's this, it's it's uh, it's very good. It is a very 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 good book. Uh, highly recommend it, especially if you're listening to this because I know Chris hasn't read this, but if you're listening to this and you liked the novel Catalyst, then this this will be a very good book for you because it will ring. Uh, unfortunately, if you are on Tarkin Talk, you will hate this book because uh, Tarkin is firmly heterosexual in the old legends continuity. So sorry to to Tarkin Talk for recommending this book. However, I, I do strongly recommend this book. It is probably the one that I looked at my entire catalog and said, which one do I think J-Guys and Jedi Chris will like the best? Probably Death Star, I would say. I put a little star next to it. Colton, what's your last one? Hit me. All right. So, this is my favorite Star Wars book of all time that has ever existed. I think this is probably my second favorite. Putting a star on this one, too. My second favorite piece of Star Wars media that has ever existed. Um, Behind Andor, before Rogue One. Um... Fourth being the uh, D-Squad episodes of uh, Clone Wars. Uh, That's a joke. (laughs) 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 Um, I know your tastes. I don't trust you. I I mean, you would agree with George Lucas. Those are his favorite episodes. Uh, They're also my partner's favorite episodes. Regardless, you can imagine um, how how verbally violent this house gets when those episodes get. I, see, up. I, I actually can see like the like the one fear face on your face when you <laughs> like one fear. Anyway, I'm sorry, Colton. Go on. Yes, so this novel is Traitor by Matthew Stover, um, and it is smack dab in the middle of the New Jedi Order series um, of Legends books. Uh, And the New Jedi Order mainly follows the galaxy after the Empire falls during the Yuuzhan Vong invasion. Now, for those of you who might not know what the Yuuzhan Vong are, the Yuuzhan Vong are a bunch of religious zealots that come from a different galaxy that, one, uh, were specifically cut off from the Force. The Force cannot interact with them, and they cannot interact with the Force. Um, are they and two, like Salamiri, but people? Yeah. Like, they are... They have no connection to the Force because they are all for long lore reasons that I don't need to get into. Um, the second thing about the Yuuzhan Vong is they do not use any technology. 
they view technology as abhorrent to life. So all of their starships, all of their weaponry are all grown. It's all organic. Um, and it's all alive. Uh, their, their holograms are these weird goo monsters that create goo replicas of the person they're talking to. Um, they uh, have massive coral structures that are their ships. Um, and Traitor f uh, takes place uh, after two large events. The first one is uh, a moon getting dropped on Chewbacca. Oh, it's that one. Okay. Uh, well, it's the one after that one, but yeah. Mm. Uh, and Coruscant getting captured by the Yuuzhan Vong. Um, and it follows two main characters, Jason Solo and Vergeer. Uh, Vergeer is this weird bird person uh, who is stunning um, and has one of the best like views on the Force that I've ever read. Uh, and Jason is uh, getting tortured for 90% of the book. Um and it is it's gorgeously written the the descriptions um of hyperspace the descriptions of the force uh matthew stover yeah this is it's the what what the else same did matthew stover write that Revenge we just the talked Sith. about yes yep. yes same guy um he uh the author um has one of the best like parables that Virgir tells jason um as as like a as a conceptualization of the force um and then there's there's uh you know a a the second half takes place on coruscant as it's being actively terraformed cuz the yuuzhan vong have brought a giant like have brought their own generational ship um to terraform the planet because they they lost their original home planet and um, are using Coruscant to regrow their home planet. And uh, Jason is, uh, you know, fighting through this 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 planet um, as it's being terraformed. Um, there's also this really interesting thing where the Yuuzhan Vong, the trillions of people that are on Coruscant when it gets captured. Uh, the Yuuzhan Vong kill a lot of them, you know, because the, the animals and the plants of the Yuuzhan Vong ecosystem need food. But also, they pack a bunch of, like, most of these trillions of people and send them to other Republic systems, causing the entire, like, remaining republic to deal with this massive crisis of refugees and it, it it talks a lot about like the this as a form of warfare and it's just it's it's very good um it's very I, timely right now <laughs> yeah god um so, so i have I to say two things um recommend it uh the first one uh the yuzong vong sound so much more star trekky than i actually thought they were because I've never actually heard anyone talk about the Yuuzhan Vong really, like, in depth. 
and this is like my first time like really hearing about them so that like that sounds really fascinating to me about how they like grow their ships and like that actually sounds very um actually like almost like force positive even though they can't because they're like we're gonna use like i was natural thinking the things. same thing i was thinking the same thing but it, that sounds so much more force positive than what I'm used to hearing about them because I've never had a good. And the other thing I'm sitting here thinking about is I've heard Charles shit on this book so much and this sounds really good. <laughs> Not this book. Not this book because this sets up the question that I was going to softball to Colton. Can you read this book without having read any of the rest of New Jedi Order? You can. Um, Absolutely you can. The Not only... you, Trader. You get to go off to the side. When I say the Yuuzhan Vong work, I'm, I'm not just going to come in here and complain about New Jedi Order. But I will say that no, when I, I complain about New Jedi Order, doesn't... not this book. Not this book. Not this one. Not you, Trader. You're fine. I don't... Yeah. Also, don't... It actually is best, I think, if you don't know anything about uh, one of the characters in the novel, and particularly the the fucking stupid decisions they made with the character later on in Legacy of the Force that you don't need to ever talk about. It was unfortunate. But yes, that's, you can read this book without needing to read any of the rest of New Jedi Order, and it's kind of unique in that, in that sense. Yeah, the only thing that you need to know is that exactly what I told you, a moon got dropped on Chewbacca, Jason got kidnapped by the Yuuzhan Vong because Chewbacca got a moon dropped on him and that the Yuuzhan Vong have captured Coruscant. That's the only things you need to know in order to read this book. Huh. It, this has made the, the Yuuzhan Vong actually fairly interesting to me because... They sound like I'd Star seen... Trek characters almost. Huh? They sound kind of like Star Trek characters almost. Yes, it does. It does. It sounds more Star Trek-y for sure. But like... I always just pictured them as just sort of this generic, you know, like lizardy bad guys that come in, you know, that they, they they always sounded the way it was described. It always sounded like an artificial threat that was sort of set up because like, OK, we've defeated the Empire. You know, we can't keep just doing the Empire over and over again. You know, let's let's do this. And it never sounded very it never sounded very Star Warsy to me. Sure, sure. And it still doesn't, but it sounds a lot more interesting. They they sound like they're a lot more rounded than I thought. Yeah, and honestly, I that is my one like thing that I cannot stand is people saying that the Yuuzhan Vong aren't Star Warsy. And like it's it's this is not a not a criticism of you, Chris, um, but I think that's. A lot of that, like, idea that they aren't Star Warsy comes from the fact that a, uh, a lot of people haven't read the New Jedi Order and have only heard right. about the Yuuzhan Vong. Oh, that's um, exactly where it came from with me. <laughs> yeah, because I, um, I think they're very Star Warsy. A lot of the, um, you know, the discussion of the Yuuzhan Vong in the books is one about their religion. Um. And two, uh, which, you know, I do not have time to go into the discussion of their religion. And two, how the Yuuzhan Vong um, interact with the Force. Because for all of Star Wars up until this point, everyone was either either light side or dark side. And this is the first time that, like, 
there is an entity that is so divorced from either of those that they have no connection. It is a a a, a discussion on like the force and how it doesn't actually flow through everything. And then, yeah. So I think it's it is Star Warsy if you read it. But I, I I fully do understand the like quick two minute discussion not sounding Star Warsy, but it, it it is just a personal pet peeve of mine. But I I honestly you've pitched it so like you're the first person to actually like pitch it in this way that I'm like I'm sitting here going I want to read this book. I want to read, read this it. book, and if you like it, hesitantly read New Jedi Order because. <laughs> New Jedi Order is great when it's good and terrible when it's not. There, Which, there's, mean, a to be of, fair, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Star Wars. There's a lot of authors and a lot of varying degrees of quality. And there are some choices made in New Jedi Order. Some of which are very interesting. Some of which are very, I, I, I know things too about the behind the scenes of this series that I, I don't think I can repeat on the air, but it, I will say it, it, it starts out with a very interesting premise to it. And I mean, that's the thing too, about legends, like people who are legends fans are going to have their opinions of different pieces of media in legends. Like I don't like all of legends, but I do think people should read it. And I actually do, for the most part, think people should even try out things that I personally don't like or don't recommend if it sounds interesting to them because people's tastes are different. I would hope not everybody's tastes are exactly like mine. And so that's one thing, too, about the breadth of Legends that's really nice is that you can kind of pick a thing that sounds good to you. And there's some stuff in there, particularly like the politics of it, because... You know, again, this this was all happening. Everything with Legends we're talking about generally was happening in the 2000s. And we remember what the politics of the world were like in the 2000s. But I, I do think that if it's something that you hear the concept and you're like, that sounds really interesting. I want to see. I do agree with Colton's recommendation. Traitor, great. You can kind of stick your toe into Vector Prime. And then if Vector Prime is interesting... There's 20-something more books to read from this. It is a monster. Yikes. Holy yeah, cow. It is a uh, long fucking series. Let me let me see how many books. Well, it must have done pretty or... well. <laughs> I think it actually has, like, the most content of any, like, distinct story in all of Star Wars. Uh, ex- excluding the High Republic, though. Yeah. The High Republic's catching up. Uh, I think, well, because, like, if you include comics and stuff, I think the High Republic far outpaces the new Jedi Order. But also it's, like, with, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> 19 novels, three ebook novellas, and three short stories comprises the entirety of New Jedi Order. Yeah. And not it's all of it is monster. the long, but it's... 12, 12 authors contributed to this over the course of it. Uh-huh. Including uh, R.A. Salvatore, Michael A. Stackpole, and uh, Matthew Stover. 
seeing a theme that Stover is coming up a lot. Stover writes really good Star Wars books. And (laughs) very strange Magic the Gathering novels. We don't need to talk about Test of Metal. I love Test of Metal. We don't need to talk about it. If you want to hear more about Test of Metal, uh, go watch uh, Paint Apart on Tuesday Night to Occulted and ask them about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm more than happy to rant about Test of Metal. Mm. Chris, I'm interested in this one, so I hope you are too. I am. Well, this, the last two have got stars I, I put at the top of the list because they're the two highest recommendations. Well, I'm going to close this out with the last one, which I would like to say star as well. Um, it is the only middle grade book on mine, but I have to say there's a really specific reason why it's on my list. Wait, and what's it called again? I was about to say it, silly goose. Oh, oh, oh okay. Okay, okay. Um, it is Pirate's Price by Lou Anders, but here's the star. So I know what it is. It's I gotta watch. I gotta listen to the audiobook, right? Because I I think right, I remember right. when you were when you were listening to the audiobook and telling me it was really great. So here's why it has to be the audiobook because it is a story about Hondo Anaka being told in first person by Hondo Anaka with Jem Cummings narrating it, and it is literally you are sitting at a table with Hondo. And he is telling you stories. And it's so delightful. And it is a middle grade book. So there is some like silly stuff. But like Hondo makes his own sound effects. Like he'll be like, he'd be like, yes. And then they came in and I got my blaster out. And I went pew, 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 pew. And it's so wonderful. It is just, it's a really short, it's a really quick listen. And the, the first probably about 20 minutes is like setting up the story. So it's a little slow. But one, cause like, it's actually like, a character is walking in and like sitting with Hondo, but like once Hondo sits down and just starts talking, it's just three hours of sitting with Hondo at a table, hearing his stories about how he, for a short time, had the Millennium Falcon, and looking back. So you can listen to it in the length of this podcast. <laughs> essentially, yes, and I cannot recommend Pirates Press enough because it is just the most delightful audiobook I've ever read or listened to, I should say, because. The fact that they got Jim Cummings to do it too, and it's so wonderful, and it has sound effects, and it really is just sitting and having a beer with Hondo for a few hours and listening to him tell you stories. And I cannot recommend it enough. It's one of my, it's my favorite audiobook, Star Wars audiobook. That I've probably ever be the first. This will probably be the first one I of these that I that I read or listen to because I can listen to it. You know, I can I can pop it up on the computer. Mm-hmm. I gotta go out and find the. I gotta go out and find these other ones, but I will find. The, I will find them though. Yeah, and I I've had I them in my hands them. before. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I I definitely has to be the audiobook. Cannot be the cannot be the actual book. Has to be the audiobook. Pirates Price by Lou Anders. Uh, sit down and have a beer with Hondo as he tells you about his adventures, and it's delightful. Um, important to note. Trader does have an audiobook as well. Um, I think all of these have audiobooks, actually. Oh, I'm sure they all yeah, do, but I'll yeah. I, I will seek out the I I, I am Death Star. I think does not. An, an, uh, another one where I'm check. a snot. I'm 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 I I'm not against audiobooks, but they are they are in my mind inferior to 
real books because when you're sitting down and open up a book and read it, it's like direct, it's a direct collaboration with the author. You and the author are are building the whole mindscape, you know. You you are you are contributing it to it with your imagination and the and it's like it's I don't know, it's a it's a purer this is where I get snobby and it's like this pure more pure experience, you know, to where an audiobook will add colorations into it that is it's almost like adding a it's adding a third person into the whole thing. And that often doesn't work out well. Well, in this in case, a, it's okay level. because it's Hondo Anaka himself. Yes, yes, and and I and I have and I like when I listened to the audiobook of of um, Death Troopers, I was like, this is probably better than reading the book. This is you know, because a it's not like it's it's not like a deeply written book. You know, it was a fun book and it was fun and it was fun to hear like, oh, how are they going to do Han Solo's voice? You know, and stuff like that and. And as a horror story, it, it 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 was it was almost it took on a campfire story feel to it. But like I will always, unless specifically like told, it's the audio book that you have to listen to. I'll always seek out the book first as my first choice. Um, I I cannot recommend Pirates Price enough. It is so much fun. As I said, it is a middle grade, so it's a little silly at times, but like that's part of the fun. It's Hondo Onaka silly, and it's just it's just so much fun. And I had just the best time listening to that book. So, oh my god, I was not expecting this episode to be so long, y'all. <laughs> okay, before we go, I have a I book was... recommendation for for all of you, but mostly for Colton because okay. it sounds like uh, you may already have this book. It's a nonfiction. It's called Brave New Words. Yes. The Oxford yes, yes, yes. Dictionary of Science Fiction. I do. You do have that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a Never very, mind. very good book. It's a wonderful, it's it's just a wonderful, I like I got it and I'm like, this is a neat book. And then I started real, like immediately, like pulling it off my shelf as a reference. Within a week of it, somebody was like, I wonder when people started like calling like talking about aliens as aliens in books. And I was like, oh, in science fiction books, I'm like, oh, I can pull this book down and tell them the exact story that the first time that 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 they were called aliens in a book were, you know, it's yeah. it's a it's a great dictionary. And a lot of my at least some of my research for um, the outbound flight and the um Death Troopers episode of Gold Squadron Gaze did come from that book. So yeah, maybe we're yeah. maybe we are the same person because that's not a book you're going to see on everybody's bookshelf. You know, when I ran across it in like a garage sale, I was like, "What the hell is this? I've never heard of this before." And so that means nobody has. <laughs> Colton, what's your feelings on cryptids? They're uh, fun to think about. But, uh, I mean, statistically, most likely don't exist because, like, for instance, uh, the oceanic system could not actually sustain a megalodon, and mm -hmm. that um, 
same with Nessie. Like a a Scotland lock is not uh, a viable uh, place for a plesiosaurus. What about a yeah? No, a plesiosaur would like kill off its its the whole ecosystem <laughs> of a lock. Yeah, and, like, exactly. Short order um, would starve to death, basically, unless they had secret underground passages that lead to the ocean. Oh, what if? You know, what if? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's what. What, all what the are your thoughts on a uh, conspiracy theories, Colton? Uh, depends on the conspiracy theory. Your favorite. Okay, have you ever read Illuminatus by Robert Anton Wilson? Uh, yeah, I think so. He's the same guy who wrote the um. Oh God, the Prince of. Sure. Principia Discordia, right? No. No? No. What am I thinking of? That's that I can't remember that guy's name. I've actually met that guy. Um yeah, I I hung out with that guy for a day. No, but he was friends with that guy and he definitely used a lot of he he made the Discordians a character characters in in Right, yes, yes, yes. Illuminatus trilogy. Yes, I, I I have read the first one, I've not read the two or three. I just I, I remember there was a connection, so I just assumed. I'm just now thinking I, about Secret World Legends again. I spend a lot of time thinking. Are any of you familiar with Secret World Legends? No. 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 The Secret World was an MMO that was published by Funcom back in like the MMO Gold Rush. Uh, so you're talking like 2000s, the MMO Gold Rush. And it it was basically like operating under the premise that like a bunch of secret societies actually exist and like what if all myths were true kind of deal. Like their version of the Horde and Alliance were the Illuminati, the Templars, and uh, I forget the name of the, it was basically the Yakuza was the third faction or like the Korean mobsters. Yeah, it was kind of like a triad type thing. I, it's called the dragon i think was the name of it uh i don't really necessarily remember because it's been anyway i spent a lot of time i spent over a thousand hours playing the remade version that they did secret world legends which is still ongoing uh but they haven't released any new content for it in over five years that wasn't a holiday event like they haven't progressed the main story so i gave up on it but that's what i think of now when i think of conspiracy theories i think of just how good the writing in that game was See, I I, I want to just hand everybody in the world now a copy of the Illuminatus trilogy because it's the only book, fiction book that I've ever read, that like just walks you through how like it gives you all these consp- it it basically just takes all the conspiracy theories that were rolling around at the time it was written and rolls them all into one big book, but by the end of it, you've already you, you've also learned how to process conspiracy theories in a in a healthy way (laughs) and that's not and obviously that did not sink into our society (laughs) as it should have because man our conspiracy theories are weak these days they're terrible (laughs) and and nobody and nobody knows how to process them i have you guys been watching the miami 10-foot alien drama play out it's one of the dumbest things i've ever seen in my life there was a incident in a miami mall and the cops thought it was a a shooter situation so all the cops scrambled out there and it was a bunch of kids fighting each you know getting in a little scrap 
and setting off fireworks. But it has turned into it has turned into there were ten foot aliens walking around and somebody ordered opened a portal in the mall and and it's just been it's been rolling for a couple weeks and people just consume it like they have video of a ten foot alien that is literally just three cops it's somebody filming from up at a apartment building and it's it's just three cops in low definition walking down the street and it it's so fuzzy that people are like can't you see that's one of the aliens and mm. and then and then they build upon that and they build upon that so now there's like you know people are talking about the people they saw setting up the portal and turning it on and it's it's just going out of, it's the dumbest it's the dumbest conspiracy theory i've seen in a long time but i I'm, I'm just fascinated how fast people run with anything hey chris yeah i think we need to let our lovely guests go because this is actually a very long oh even for oh us. shit yeah no this is longer than last week's episode i know you just you just saw the timestamp, didn't you well i, I no. thought to myself i thought to myself well the only thing i got i'm on schedule to do today is feed the cat and that's at 4 30 so we won't run into that and <laughs> five for, minutes for context, from now, bernice is gonna be in. here clawing my leg I have a thing that, that I need to do later today, and I've thought built in what I thought was enough time, like <laughs> in between recording this episode, because I knew it was going to be a monster. And then I, I, I'm i like, oh, no, actually, we're running up on on the time that I need to, to get things done before I go to this mm-hmm. event that I'm going to. So on that note, thank you both for coming to this very special episode of Jago's and Jedi. Thank you for bringing your expertise to this episode. Um, I hope you had fun. <laughs> this was great because it was all aimed. I got all the attention. I didn't have to do any prep. And now I've got like eight books to read. So <laughs> happy to help. I, I win this one. <laughs> so uh, right fast. Where can people find you too? Uh, I'm on Twitter, and that's pretty much it, at ColtonZ9. Um, I have some amount of takes occasionally. It's fun. And Tuesday nights at Paint Apart. Yes, yes. And of on course, Twitch. Vlad. Yes. yes. Uh, Twitch at We Are Nerdsmith is the full name of the channel. Hey, Charles, where can people find you? Too many fucking places, Hope. Too many fucking places. You can find me on uh, my Star Wars podcast, Gold Squadron Days, which I co-host with my enemy, Bradley. Uh, that is a weekly show. Uh, you can also find Hope and Colton as guests on previous episodes of that show. You can, of oh, course, wow. find me on For Light and Dice, a Star Wars TTRPG podcast that we just explained at the top of this episode. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at at CWRogers6. Uh, that is where you can listen to me yell about things, and you can find me in a secret other place that as of recording this episode, I have not announced yet. But if I do announcement it in between this episode and um, if I do announce it before this episode comes out, I may send Hope a voice clip of me to drop in here saying what that is. If this is the thing I'm thinking of, it's then the yes. thing you're thinking of. Then, then yes, we will be editing in because it's a very cool thing that I know about. But also, it's more plugging. Well, if you're gonna drop it, want... drop it the next couple days because this comes out Tuesday. If you want to listen to good fucking luck with editing this. <laughs> 
If you also want to listen to me talk about some of the other books that we discussed on this episode, you can listen to me, as mentioned before, on the Dark Disciple episode of First Steps of Star Wars podcast, which is also a fantastic podcast, and you should listen to it. And you can find me on Now This Is Lit, talking with Meg about uh, Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. Hey, Chris, right fast, where can people find you? You can find me at tutufreaks.com. That's my podcast website where we keep all the podcasts, thousands and thousands and thousands of podcasts, 376, now 377 J Guys and Jedi's podcasts. Including and the, can, uh, the Star Wars Monthly Mondays that we were talking about, you and Chris, uh, uh, they Scott all Gardner, live there. doing the, uh, what? They all live on that podcast, too. Yes. Yeah. Talking about the Star Wars comics. That they're there, they're too. Yep, 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 yep. And some... I think we even worked some Indiana Jones comics in there at some point, too. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, where we have the Two True Freaks Cantina, which is a place to go and just shoot the shit. And we have the Two True Freaks podcast page, where you can see all our podcasts as they're released on that page. And that's about it. Um, you can find me at Hope Mullinex on Twitter. When you go there, you'll see all the other shit I do, including for Light and Dice, which is a really cool podcast I do with two other really cool people on here and other Chris and Jess and Robin, and we have a lot of fun time going on adventures together. You can also see all my other stuff. There's a link tree. There's clicks. You can click on all the things. Click, click, click. Oh, my God. Thank you for coming on the show, you two. Thank you for having us. It was Thank you for having very fun. I'm yes. I hope you had a wonderful time, and I hope you believe that Chris and Colton are not, yeah are kind of the same person. Oh, someday, same someday person. along the line in theoretical podcast world, there should be a Chris and Colton book podcast. Honestly, I, I would yeah. listen to you two talk sci-fi, um, because like an like a an old person and a young person talking like classic sci-fi, I would listen the fuck out of that podcast. I would also listen to the fuck out of that podcast, and I'll have a lot of time to listen to podcasts. Uh, not in the sense that I don't have a lot of time to actually listen to podcasts. I just already listened to so many of them. It's sure. Yeah, that's jealous. where I am too. Yep. Will Chris have your people call my people, and we'll 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 sort it out. I'm yeah, the yeah, people. Yeah. I'm the people. <laughs> <laughs> you are the people. I am the people. I'm the one stuck in between. So yeah. Oh, right, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us on again. Uh, I know that one thing that Colton and I share is a deep, deep love of all of the publishing material uh, going from Legends to Canon. So this was an excellent chance to talk about some Canon things that we really like and also some Legends things that we really like. It really was. I'm so Good. glad well, you had a- Maybe there's a bunch of other people like me listening too that now have a new book list. I hope so. That was actually kind of the thing that other people would find stuff that they, that we all really love to talk about. And you'll get to go out and you can read and have fun. And I get to hear some books that I want to hear about, but I'm not going to leave because I have to pee. Goodbye. <laughs> Amen. Love you all. Bye, guys. We'll be all back right. to Andor Bye. next week. Bye. Andor next week. We'll return to Andor. We'll finally finish this cursed fucking show. Goodbye. Two weeks. Two weeks. We're bi-weekly now. I forgot.
visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. All right, we we all good. We all, we all know good. It. I know it is the Darth Buggles music. It is the Darth Buggles music, but it's also it was originally the Darth Jar Jar. Oh, I forgot about Darth Buggles. Oh my yeah. god! I never forgot about gotten about Darth Buggles. Darth every Buggles is the I best character in Star Wars Resistance. Every time I see that little species thing, I think I don't trust that little motherfucker. It's, it somehow <laughs> survived a plane. I don't understand. Anyway, cool. Somehow Buggles returned. Somehow Buggles returned.